So you think you're taking me in, huh? Guess what? Not happening. You tell Cocteau he can kiss my ass. Yeah, that's right. You tell Cocteau it's going to take an army to get rid of me because I don't give a I got nothing to lose. I don't want to rain on your parade, pal. But I don't know who the hell you are, let alone want to take you anywhere. So stay here, be well, and Cocteau the next Hey, hey, man. Let's take him and dump him up top. They're only down here to spy on us. Wait a minute. You're the guy outside Taco Bell. Yeah. What do you want? I guess you weren't part of the Cocteau plan. Greed? Deception? Abuse of power? That's no plan. That's why everybody's down here? You got that right. See, according to Cocteau's plan, I'm the enemy. Because I like to think. I like to read. I'm into freedom of speech and freedom of choice. I'm the kind of guy who likes to sit in a greasy spoon and wonder, gee, should I have the T-bone steak or the jumbo rack of barbecue ribs with the side order of gravy fries? I want high cholesterol. I want to eat bacon and butter and buckets of cheese, okay? I want to smoke Cuban cigars the size of Cincinnati in a non-smoking section. I want to run through the streets naked with green jello all over my body reading Playboy magazine. Why? Because I suddenly might feel the need to, okay, pal? I've seen this. Did you know what it is? It's a 47-year-old virgin sitting around in his beige pajamas drinking a banana broccoli shake thing, and I'm an Oscar Mayer wiener. You live up top, you live Cocteau's way. What he wants, when he wants, how he wants. Your other choice? Come down here. Maybe start with that. Excellent. I think you hear me knocking. I think I'm coming in. Uh, it is six minutes and 18 seconds after the hour of 11 and this, the month of June of the year of our Lord, 2008. Thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970, Salad State Radio. Greetings, my friends. Draw near that ye might be amused on this Thursday. Uh, welcome to Day 12. We're here in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. And never forget, you may be fat, but I'm drunk. Wait, have I got it right? Am I doing it? Am I doing it wrong? I said, no, I said, I'm not, dr- I'm not drunk, you're fat. I'm not drunk, you're fat. <laughs> Before the show, Sarah was talking to her sister who lives in Brooklyn, and your sister revealed that she was witnessing an altercation between... A drunken cobbler and a Hasidic Jew. <laughs> <laughs> this is presumably before they walked into the bar together. That's great. I've seen better cobbling inside of pans. Anyway... 503-733-2970. Only in New York. 503-733-2970. You want you should uh, join us today. 503-733-2970 with your comments, questions, clarifications, kvetches, two cents, or what have you. 503-733-2970. You uh, want to uh, get on board, you can do that right there. Richie Bristol is standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, the mundane. Or uh, anything in between there. You can also email if you like. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah at 970.am. Tim at 970.am. Or Richie with a T at 970.am. Two things to say about Richie Bristol today. One, uh, Richie, I don't know if you can... I don't know if your computer can see my computer right now. I don't know if Troy upgraded your call screening software. Because I got some new call screening thing over here. So I'm, I'm unclear about whether the two computers, computers are in communication right now. So at some point, you may want to type something. Okay. All right. Yeah, there you go. Okay, I can see you. All right. Thank you. Uh, also, did you see the way that Richie was dressed today? Dressed rather stylishly, Kenneth Cole, head to toe. Oh, no. So 
I, I was distracted in, by the fact that he said he went on a date last night. And the fact that he was listening to porn music. So I came in today, and um, and there was like all of this weird 70s like funk music emanating from Richie's call screening room. And I said, what are you doing? And he goes, I got this whole... It, I'm no one to talk because I have the same DVD at home. He's like, I got this whole DVD of 70s porn trailers. So he's kind of go through, going through watching them one at a time, presumably for educational purposes and to see if there's anything we can use on the show. Because I think it's... I think it is volume two of a three-volume set, and I have volume one, which is from where we got that... These girls are not really lesbians. They're part of a new exciting trend called swinging. Um, so I think he's got volume three. But if you walk by Richie's room this morning, all you hear is like the assorted guttural groaning in 70s porn music. Uh, part and parcel of these like weird skin trailers from like 35 years ago. That and... So he's, so he's dressed up today and see... This is the difference between men and women. This is the great gender divide here in America, and I would say across the world, Sarah Dillon. Hmm. So you were talking to Richie this morning, and Richie said, I went on a date last night. That's not what no, I got. He's been telling me. But he's like, I promised her that I wouldn't say anything on the radio. Too late. She made her, yeah. Yeah, and Richie lied to me because he told me it was somebody else, and it was like, in turn, some other girl. I don't know. Do we know who it was? No, but we're going to get him on the air and find out. See, but so you got the female version of the story, which is that he went on a date last night. I got the guy version of the story, which is I said, hey, Richie, you seem kind of tired. And he's like, yeah, I got laid last night. (gasps) And then he just sort of, and then he does that little, like, that sort of, like, that cocking of the eyebrow. Sort of the arched eyebrow and then like a, you could tell the name of his head he was chucking me on the shoulder. Or perhaps doing a chest bump. Uh, That's the first thing he said to you. I got laid that last was, night. That was the, the first words out of his mouth this morning. Uh, he I, told me that, too. It, really? <laughs> Maybe he's, he was stopping st- strangers on the street on the way. <laughs> Hello there. I'm Richie Bristol. You know that I was laid li- the, most, the most previous evening? Um, well, Richie's just engaging in male bonding with you, Tim. Nothing wrong with that. Not at all. I'm pleased to know that information. It is, it is interesting to know that Tim and I both got the I got laid, and Sarah, though, got the got the safe for work version of it. No, I kicked him out because I was mad at him because he's like, oh, I lied to you earlier this week. It wasn't the girl I said it was. I'm under, I, don't, I don't understand. Was he trying Okay, so I guess, trying to throw you off the trail somehow of who he was no, with? No, he came in on Monday. He's like, was Richie I'm, with somebody he wasn't supposed to be with I last night? I think so. Because he was telling me, he said, I'm going out with somebody on Wednesday, but I can't tell you who it is because she made me promise not to tell you guys. So it's somebody who knows who we are. I mean, they, they, they know that we're on the radio anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm, all right. We've and so this was, but it was somebody else? Yeah, but he, he told me it was that girl from Clear Channel. Perhaps it's, perhaps it's unhealthy that we have such a preoccupation with Richie's uh, dating life, but that just seems a little weird. No, we'll just get, in, get him in here and question him until he breaks. All right. <laughs> I like your spirit, Sarah Dillon. Um, all right. Here's what's coming up later on today. CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum. Speaking of New York City, uh, Steve Kastenbaum will uh, join us from New York, where I guess... What did they say that Hillary's not going to formally... Uh, a, this is like the same story we had yesterday. It, you lost. She's not going to formally drop until tomorrow? Well, Saturday. You've got to have a little get-together. The finger sandwich. With some friends. There, yes. With some friends and Charles Rangel. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so I guess Hillary's going to formally drop out, uh, not, even to, not even today, not even tomorrow, but in fact, Saturday. Uh, so we'll talk about that. A CNN Radio correspondent, James Roop, uh, will join us from Los Angeles today. Uh, we'll talk to Dorothy Cassisari from the National Enquirer. Uh, I got an email from Peter Carlin letting me know that he is, in fact, available today. So it seems like the ship has sort of sailed on discussing loss, but now I feel like it's a quest. I feel like it's a thing we have to do just because it's been dogging me for like four days in a row. Uh, so well, we that will... new Swing in 70 show premieres. Oh, tonight. he hates that. Everybody's oh, going to hate it. He that. hates that show more than life itself. 
Um, uh, so maybe it's just as well because today Richie had the 70s porn bed going in the back room. So we'll talk to uh, Peter Carlin today about Swingtown, which is on, is that on NBC? CBS? Oh, that's unfortunate. Well, I feel like I have to watch it now just to be a team player, Tim Riley. Yes. Uh, in any event, so Peter Carlin will join us uh, later on today. Is it? Uh, it is High Concept Thursday. Uh, we'll roll that out. Uh, your phone calls. And then I have, here's the thing. I have the worst top five that's ever been put together right here in my assembling it this morning. And so here's the thing. This top five is already so bad. This top five is already so offensive, so off-putting. This top five is already so repellent in every conceivable fashion that before we even get before we get any further into the program, we're going to have to figure out an antidote song to play immediately after the top five is done. So we're going to need to come up with the most soothing, pleasing, happiest, uh, most pep-filled song we can possibly imagine. What would that be, Sarah? Cheap Trick Surrender. All right. So there you go. Uh, so later on today, we will do... And this is all because of our... Um, the, the reason we're doing this top five today is because of the whole... Uh, thing that happened yesterday and the day before that. So today we have... This is not counting. We have the top five... Worst noises on earth. No. No. Well, that's the top five worst noises on earth. That's not a good top it's coming five. coming up today. Yeah, but you're kind of curious as to what's on the list, aren't you? You kind of want to know. You don't want to know, but you have to know. I hold the answers right here in my hand, Sarah Dillon. I remember years ago when we were on Max 910 and you had that, we had like this full disc or something, remember, full of sound effects with the, that were supposedly the worst sounds in the world? That wasn't a Max 910. That was here. That's where we were in the coin tower. Really? There was a little computer program online where they were trying to determine the worst noise in the history of the world. Oh, my God, you're right. And then there was a thing where you could mix the noises together. Uh, where you could, babies and chalk and like fingernails. Yeah, where you, and it was like breaking glass or the sound of a lawnmower running, and you could blend them all into, uh, together. So uh, later on today, we will count down the top five worst noises on earth, uh, immediately followed by the soothing sounds of Cheap Trick. Uh, so that's coming up later on today, uh, your emails and your so forth. It's uh, 503-733-2970, 503-733-2970. Uh, wait, but it's not the Muppet thing today. What the hell is it? Today, one random caller wins. I think it's the Jackass tribute to Evil Knievel. Woohoo! Uh, so that's on DVD. I do believe that's what we're giving away today. Uh, today, one random caller will win the Jackass tribute uh, to Evil Knievel, which has copy points attached with it. Copy points I don't have in front of me. Uh, so we'll get those later on. Tim Riley's working on the following stories for your edification today. Lots of stuff. Four teens are in custody after trying to rob riders aboard the Max last night. A Vancouver man complains of finding mystery meat in his burrito. Industrious Gresham kids with an eye on the future create a two-story vinegar and baking soda volcano. Uh, supporters have given Hillary a good shaking and convinced her she did indeed lose. Linda Carter, Wonder Woman, is out canoeing the Potomac River, finds a dead body floating, and calls 911. A Canadian man who's an electrician attempts to electrocute his wife in the shower. He's unsuccessful. The 9-11 mastermind wants to die. The Bush secret plan for Iraq calls for 50 permanent military bases, control of Iraqi airspace, legal immunity for all American soldiers and contractors. A wooden tuna statue welcoming visitors to an Oregon town is stolen. A wooden tuna statue? That's correct. Okay. Hello, Sarah Dillon. How are you today? Hello. You're looking very German. Yeah? You look sort of Teutonic today. Teutonic's a word. I don't know the definition of that word, but I hear it used in context, and so I therefore kind of think I know what it means. There are people from Teutonia. Is that where, is it really? Is that what it means? Well, no. Oh. <laughs> it, it, you totally had me there for a second. 
No, there's no such... Uh, you probably think she looks Prussian or Teutonic. Well, that was the same general area of Russian militarists. How do you know these things? That's kind of scary. Well, I know history. I I went to a... a Sorry, Mr. Book Learning. I, I went to school where they required us to learn... Sorry, Mr. Made it past the fifth grade. La-di-da. All right, fine. Whatever. No, I'm giving you true facts. Did they teach you that while you were were you tromping around in the woods, taking the sap out of trees while conjugating verbs in Latin? No, that was in my spare time. All right, whatever. Uh -huh. All right. Well, uh, Teutonic. You know, here's another word I didn't know the definition of until about uh, two weeks ago. Lara was reading the book. She was she's reading the Anthony Bourdain book, um, uh, Kitchen Confidential, and she asked me she, from the other room. She goes, she goes, Hey, what's a rock on tour? And I know it's a band with Jack White, but she she said, what's a rock on tour? And that's a word that I've only ever really seen used in context. And I actually had to go look it up because I realized that I've lived 35 years on this earth and I didn't really know what a rock on tour was. Well, Does anybody know? Him? No. Mr. History Man? I don't. All right. It wasn't one of my lessons. Oh, stop bragging about something you just looked up on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> don't you laugh at me! Um... That is interesting, actually, that you can sort of lord that knowledge over people when really it's just some crap you got out of a book. Like, I went to, I went to Webster.com or something and looked it up. A raconteur, Sarah and Tim, is someone who is skilled in the telling of anecdotes. I had no idea. I sort of thought a raconteur was like a ladies' man. Like, I thought a raconteur Wait, was... Raconteur? A raconteur. Raconteur. Uh, I thought that a raconteur was sort of like, uh, you know, like you were sort of had a brusque way with the women. Like you were sort of a, uh, you know, like you were sort of a shady, a shady but sort of charismatic character. Uh, but it, not. It's just like someone. Give me your eye. It is someone. Exactly. It's a, but it is someone who's skilled in the telling of the story. So not so much Timmy Ryan as it is uh, the Grease Man. So there you go. And if it is. Uh, all right, it's uh, 503-733-2970. Did you, Sarah Dillon, watch The Iron Giant last night? Oh, oh, for the love of God! I'm sorry. I ended up hanging out with a bunch of my friends, and then we ended up chatting and didn't end up getting watching a movie. I'm you know sorry. what? I don't believe you're ever going to watch The Iron Giant. You should just return it. But... You should just give it back to me, because it just hurts me to know that, as as Lloyd Dobler okay, says well, and say anything, it just hurts me to know that it's out okay, there. Okay, well, I'm going to the Timbers game today, but mm -hmm. I'm not leaving for it till 6. So I'm between 3 and 6. I will watch it today. I'm just saying, don't. I mean, don't watch it because I'm making you watch no, it. No, I know you're not making me watch it. It just kind of got buried underneath. Uh, I kind of became obsessive Family Guy for a little while there, right. but no, I'm ready. I just, I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to build it up into like this this thing that is then sort of anticlimactic. I'm just saying, I think it's a pleasing. Tim liked it. Everybody likes the idea. No, I'm totally. It makes it's, grown it's, it's men rainy, cry. It's a rainy day. I'm in the mood for like a cute little cartoon movie. It's not a cute little cartoon. It is kind of a cute little cartoon movie. And it has Harry Connick Jr. and Jennifer Aniston. Oh so, yeah. All right, I'm just saying. All right, well. Try to enjoy it. I'm just saying, I think you'll find it to be a pleasing experience. Okay. Well, and it's so from the guy that later then brought you The Incredibles and uh, so forth. So, I mean, I'm just saying, you won't regret it. I know. All right. No, because, you know, I did watch a couple minutes of it, and then I stopped because I realized that I wouldn't be able to watch yeah. it the whole way through. No, you, you really do have to watch it all the way through. The Iron Giant is not a movie to be, to be taken and sift, Sarah. Uh, so, I didn't... How long is it? It, it isn't longer. Like than 90 that. minutes. Okay. Yeah, okay. It's, I mean, it's a typical animated... It's like an animated family film, but it's, it really is quite a... It's a, it is, it is a you know what it is? It's a perfect little gem of a film. Mm -hmm. Not going to change the world, but it's a wonderful, nearly perfect film, I would say. Does it have I... a lesbian sex scene in it that you don't tell me about? Yes, it does, Sarah. No. Or does it? It doesn't. <laughs> or does it? No. Yeah? Oh, my God. Uh, anyway. You were becoming Peter Griffin. <laughs> no, I'm becoming... See, but right then I wasn't doing Peter Griffin. I was doing Eddie Izzard. Oh. Uh, because Eddie Izzard does that thing on Dress to Kill. 
Um, and he's coming to town July 4th. We're going to try to get him in the, in the studio. Yeah, that was um, so well the last time we had him on. <laughs> we were, he was on the phone. He was on the phone, though, and I think we just woken him up, and I don't think he was in the same time zone as we were. So we're going to try to get him in the studio. But um, but I was watching uh, Dress to Kill the other night, which is the Eddie Izzard thing, where he tells that whole story about his first sexual experiences with, with a girl and how he was sort of... He was sort of embarrassed because he didn't, you know, he, he sort of finished prematurely and so forth. And then he, he he does this whole story, and then he goes, he goes, well, it's all right, uh, she's, you know, she's dead now. And then the audience kind of goes, oh, he goes, no, no, she's not dead, no, she is dead. <laughs> and then everybody kind of goes, oh, and he goes, no, no, I'm just kidding, she's not dead, she is dead. And he does it, he does it for like four minutes. And occasionally he gets it, and then he gets it done to where he's just arching an eyebrow, like he'll just he'll smile reassuringly and shake his head. And then kind of nod and arch an eyebrow. I mean, he just drags it on longer than you ever think anybody could drag oh, anything on. I have to on. be watching that like oh, right now. Oh, Dress to Kill is like, I've seen Dress to Kill, I've seen Definite Article, and I've seen Part of Glorious. But Dress to Kill, I think, is by most accounts the, the definitive Eddie Izzard. So he's coming to town, I think, on... He's such a beautiful man. He, he really, he's got a huge, freakishly square head, but he's still attractive in a strange sort of way. All right, uh, so uh, we'll get some calls here in a second. So Steve Castamon coming up later on. Jim Roop, Cannibal Watch, Dorothy Carcassari, Peter Carlin, High Concept Thursday. One random caller wins a copy of the Jackass Tribute to Evil Knievel. By the way, we so rarely do this. A couple things, uh, just a couple little uh, governmental tributes today. One, we have this from a listener named Aaron and his crew who are serving in the Navy in Iraq. He says, Rick... I am one of your military listeners serving overseas. I just have to say your show opener for yesterday, the one that Fatboy put together, was awesome. I grabbed almost all my guys from my unit and had them listen to it over and over. We were rolling around laughing. We ended up taking that sounder, putting it as the startup sound from one of our main office computers, and waiting for some unsuspecting soul to use it. Thank you again for the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, Aaron and the Navy crew serving in Iraq. So there you go. Thank you, my oh, friend. That's awesome. And then we got this. I have to give it up uh, to the folks at the DEQ, which stands for what? Department of Emission Quality? Yes. Yeah. Something? I went there yesterday. Can I tell you this? I went in, was in, done, out, five minutes. Yeah. That's it. Well, because the last time it I was like fast food. The most painful part is paying for it. But the, the, the last time I went, it was just, it was ass. It just took, it took forever. And maybe that's because I just had a piece of, uh, a piece of crap car the last time. Maybe, or maybe, I think maybe the last time I did it. The last time I did the DEQ might have actually been in California, uh, where it wasn't nearly so efficient. Um, because, you know, the focus is, you know, I, I bought it new uh, in in 2004, and so I think this is the first time I've had to take it in. I was just expecting the worst, because you know what it is? It's like going to the DMV where you're just sitting there and you're just waiting for some jackass to take, you know, all day just to push a pencil around in front of you. I drove in, and it's like, you know, I walked in, I had barely sat down in the office. The guy comes in, like, all right, you passed, $85. You know, and as Sarah said, the worst part was signing over the 85 bucks or whatever it was, but I was in and out and done. It was, it was a truly wonderful experience. So my, my, uh, my hat is off to you, uh, to you guys at the DEQ. I don't know what, I think Oregon may just be ahead of the game in all of these things. Um... You know who's not ahead of the game, and I won't mention them, but there's a prominent supermarket chain at which I often shop. Here's the thing. I'm not going to revisit our whole complaint from a few weeks ago about how they're always trying to jack you for an additional 75 cents at the checkout thing. But Sarah totally noted it when they just finished collecting for one cancer, and now they've moved on to another cancer, which is fine. I understand that's what they do. I'm just, it's sort of part and parcel of the experience. I've just learned to accept it. But you know what a woman did to me last night? I say as though it's the most offensive thing on earth. 
It's like when you're at a restaurant and the bill is $17.24 and you give the guy a 20 and he says, do you need change? The answer is yes. The answer to that question is always yes. I need change. Maybe I'll give you a tip. Maybe I won't. But you sort of implying that you deserve a tip by asking me if I need change. That, that, that does infuriates you. That just ensures you're not going to get one, jackass. Uh, so why don't you give me the money that belongs to me and I'll decide whether to tip you then. Quit being a dick. So I go to the, uh, to the, to the supermarket yesterday. I go on and buy and whatever, and it's you know it's it's like the nine dollars and four cents. I give the woman you know a ten or whatever it is, and she says, "Would you like to round up for ten dollars for blah 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 cancer?" And I said, "You know, not today. I'm fine, thanks." And she looked at me and she goes, "That would only make it ten dollars, sir." Like in in full like within within, within earshot of everybody else. What store is this? I'm not going to specify, Tim. It's a prominent supermarket chain. Hmm. It's not one I shop at. Yeah, it's not going to be one I shop at for very long. You know what? Honestly, I know what supermarket chain you're talking about. You know what I'm I talking do. about. Oh, of course. And I think everybody who's been there knows what, what you're I mean, talking about. I, I, I've actually started going to Trader Joe's in the morning. Even though it's out of my way, I spend less money. That's a fine supermarket. It is. I spend less money. There's not a lot of like BS chit-chat. The people are friendly, but you're in and out. And I, <laughs> I, I love going there. I mean, I know that it's only 94 cents or whatever, but it's not really that. It really just is. When people say that it's not the money, it's, it's the principle. This really is the principle. Anything? Well, and especially when, I start, when, when she asks me once, she said, would you like to round up to $10? And I frankly said, and how does she know? She might, You know, for all, for all she knows, I might have been there early on in the day, and I might have given him $30. Uh, and she's, would you like to round up to $10? No, no, thank you. I'm going to pass for now. That would only make it $10, sir. And so what do I immediately do? Fine. Uh, you know, because you don't want to look like an ass in front of everybody. So thanks so much for that. See, uh, I never care about looking like an ass, ever. I don't. I think know, that there's a line just of... just a little troll, just a little homunculus of a woman. Uh, you should just ask him to match you next time. Hey, that's a good idea. Uh-huh. All right. Uh, let's do these calls and we'll take a break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Good morning, sir. What's up? I feel you admitted a very important song yesterday in your top five list. Uh, top five pre-1990 songs featuring a guest appearance. Yes, sir. Uh, Money for Nothing by Dire Straits. Featuring Sting. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's... You know, my wife and I were actually just listening to the Brothers in Arms album uh, the other day, and I hadn't listened to that album for years just because I got so burned out on it as a kid. A couple really sort of cringe-inducingly 80s moments aside, most of them featuring a bad white man's saxophone, that is still really a solid album. And the song Money for Nothing is, I mean, that really holds up. That's an exceptional rock song. It really is. Yeah, one of the best uh, riffs ever. All right. Yeah, we'll find, a, we'll find an excuse to play that. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Hello. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Um, um, Worst, worst sound ever. I was in the Navy, sur survival school, yeah. POW camp, and uh, they, they had a mock POW camp, everything. They torment and torture us. They would put us, put us in a combined space, and then blast baby screaming throughout the whole <laughs> entire night. And it, was, it was the worst experience ever. I mean, it really was. And it was a sound, I think, more than anything else. They could beat us, throw us up against the wall, anything else. The sound is what did it. That's Just the sound exactly of a... exactly what did it. And this was... The police were, so you said this was in sort of a training? Where this is yeah, like a, they're was, simulating was, the POW experience? Exactly. They did their best to uh, to simulate it and make it just just hideous, just now, absolutely hideous, and, and, it, and it was it was effective. Now let me ask you this, because I don't really know much about the military. Do you feel that having gone through a POW simulation, you're you'd like be able to stand up better under the real thing? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I mean, I don't. I mean, I'm not trying to make light of it. I just don't understand exactly what. That's like something somebody coming in and kicking you in the balls over and over again for half an hour. So like, okay, so when it really happens, you'll be able to handle it. No. Oh yeah. That's no. not going to work. <laughs> 
No, no, right. it's, 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 no. If anything, it's just going to make you want to avoid that situation more. Maybe put a gun in your mouth or something. That's, That's the spirit. That's going to do to you. Yep, All right. Thank absolutely. you, my friends. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Rick, this is White Man. How you doing? Hello, sir. Hello. Um, let's see. So I got a few observations. One, now that you just mentioned that whole roundup thing at the uh, grocery store. Yeah. So a prominent uh, grocery store that I go to, uh, they had the Special Olympics thing, right? Right. Well, uh, basically, the checker, no kidding, looks just like and talks just like Milton from Office Space. Really? And then, to add insult to injury, the bag boy. Uh, he, you know, he has he has Down syndrome, and um, this lady comes through, and he says, "Would you like to round up for uh, for the Special Olympics?" And she says, "No, thank you." And this is where I think they had it. <laughs> did the checker begin to? Did the bag boy start crying? No, the bag boy said he after she goes through the line, he goes, "Thank you," and he gives her a big smile. Yeah. Bad. You know, if I were one of those supermarket chains, I might just hire a bunch of people to pretend to have Down syndrome. <laughs> I don't need a chair. But uh, uh, the the other the main reason I was calling in was because I finally watched Iron Giant. And awesome. Yeah. I thought, oh, this is you know this is a cute movie, and then until when? Yeah. Uh, okay, Sarah, yeah. Sarah hasn't hey, seen it. it. I won't. I won't ruin it. I swear. But. But until... Brad, but let's just say that Brad Brad Bird knows how to uh, he knows the strings to pull. How to, how to tug the heartstrings. He does, especially. I'm not going to say it's a guy movie because that's sort of it's saying you know it's a what part I'm talking about. Yeah, saying it's a guy movie makes it sound like it's Die Hard or something. It's really not. But you know what it is? It is the Iron Giant is not a guy movie. I would say this: it is a movie that in many ways appeals to boys. I'll put it that way. It yeah. in many ways is a boy movie. Mm -hmm. You know, then, I think you'll love it, but it is in many ways a movie for boys. And then the question that I'd been asking you before, probably like last year, was: Have you still? Have you yet watched? Wet Hot American Summer. No, it's still sitting on top of my TV. Dude, watch it. You were just giving Sarah crap for not watching it. And those guys Giant. were just in town. Michael Ian Black was just here last week. I know I was supposed week. to go see that movie, yeah. and I couldn't. Watch it. All right. It I'll, well, my wife is gone for a week. Maybe I'll watch it this week. Sir. Check out Dead Man. All right. Thank you. Right, You've got to see Wet Hot American Summer, Rick. It is hilarious, and it is right up your alley. Like, yeah. I can't. Uh, that will be one of your favorite movies. If only so Dave's in, I'll leave me alone about yep. it. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hi, Rick. Uh, Sarah, Tim. How you doing? Hello. Hey. Um, I had a couple things. Uh, you know that uh, that uh, major supermarket that you were kvetching about? Yes, sir. You know what I hate is when they insist on saying your name when you're done with your transaction. Yeah. Oh, I hate that. Yeah. And it's like, you know, my name's a little hard to pronounce, and so I'm like, yeah, 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 just get on with it, you know. <laughs> don't, you know, can don't I even bother? Can I tell you that I, I put in my phone number on it the other day, and I must have been. I must have been off my one number. I must have typed in the wrong thing, but it was still somebody else's number. So, in other words, it wasn't me, but it still worked. And the, yeah. one, the woman goes, thank you, Mr. Inkanawa. And I looked, and it was like literally, the, 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 it was like some big, long Asian name that clearly, like, is not me. And I kind of went, well, you're welcome. So, all right. <laughs> and the other thing is, yes, uh, Sarah, did you ever get a DVD player, or are you still watching it on your computer? No, I got one. My parents had a spare one in the garage, so I'm using their old used DVD player, which totally works. It's good. Oh, okay. Well, I was going to send you mine, but as long as no, you... She's, she's moved oh, into nice the 21st century, thank but thank you, sir. All right. Well, thank have you. a good day. You Great as show. well, my friend. All right. Uh, we should take a break here. It's uh, 503-733-2970. Still to come, CNN Radio Correspondent Steve Kastenbaum, James Roop, Dorothy Costasari, Peter Carlin, Top 5 Worst Sounds Ever, Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth, High Concept Thursday, and more. Stay there. <laughs>
Raising the bar. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. You know what it is? That's my version of your thing. That you, the thing you play, that montage of me going like, take my seed, penis, you know, whatever. Oh, I, for some, that doesn't bother me. I think that's hilarious. Yeah, no, I just, there's sort of, I'm glad oh, I have my the, own the specific part that yeah. Oh, you know exactly what I'm yeah. talking about. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day. Coming up later on, Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Dorothy Carcassari for the National Enquirer. We'll talk to, uh, theoretically speaking, Steve Kastenbaum and James Roop, although uh, things seem to be a little bit sketchy with CNN right now. Um, high Concept Thursday on the way. Top five right here in my hands. I'm assembling it this morning. The top five worst noises on earth. Right here. We're all going to suffer through it together. Now we'll play Cheap Trick and everything will be fine. Top five worst noises uh, on earth. Let's see. What else? Cannibal Watch coming up today and a, uh, a whole bunch of other uh, things and whatnot. All right. Um, I got this email about, I know this sounds weird, but I got this Alanis Morissette email that I want to read. Uh, but before we do that, yes. uh, let me just. Uh... Right here. Welcome now to the Rick Emerson uh, Show. Our intrepid PA, Richie Bristol. I keep on hearing my my thingy in it. Uh, that thingy? video, um, oh the thing audio. the fat boy put together. Yes, I yeah. don't know the difference. No, no, no. Well, this well, you no, know, because the one is just because one has just you, and the other one has a uh, court mixed in with it. So okay. if you if you hear this noise, <laughs> that's uh, that's not summoning you to the studio. Oh, damn so it. all right. How are you today, Richie? Okay. Time did you go to bed last night? What time did you go to Richie, sleep is... last night? I believe it's some sort of uh, energy drink from a prospective client. Oh, okay. So. I thought that was like a, a malt liquor energy drink. Oh, uh, no. I don't believe so. Yeah. How time did you go to sleep last night, Richie? 4 oh, 08. Because so, it was before 4 09, I remember that. All right. So please do now explain, uh, because I came in today and I commented that you were sort of tired and you without even, and you just did that thing of like the arched eyebrow and the sort of, that's because I got laid, Rick Emerson. That's why that is. Uh, and so, but you, t tell us now the thing about you trying to throw Sarah kind of off the trail of whoever it was you were with last night, because there was some whole discussion about how yeah, who is she? We, we couldn't discuss her or talk about her. <laughs> But then it turns out today that it was somebody else. You were trying to mislead Sarah about who you were with. Which was very mean. Yeah, because I promised. I'm, I'm, but you know what? This no girl pictures, just, no name. She's just some like a little hump buddy for now, a couple it, days. We're here for, we're here for life. We're, we're family. <laughs> oh. Now, is this somebody that we know? Uh, yeah, four or five years longer than me. <laughs> Dude. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> that's the, that's the, oh. <laughs> so, wait, hold on. So, let's just back up here. So we've known this person for four or five years longer than you have. Yeah. How remember, long? Have, how long have you known them? Uh, well, I remember seeing him back at a listener party at Barracudas. I think you guys were hanging out with them. This with is them. A, them. You're playing the pronoun game. Oops. <laughs> More information. <laughs> Trouble here. Is this a man or a woman? Oh, it's a woman. Well, I'm just you know I'm just saying one never knows, Richie. Well, she had a boyfriend at that time. But she, she, she had a boyfriend then. So, uh, so this is somebody you've known for a couple of years. This Do is somebody know, like, that we have known. No, I didn't. I no, I didn't know her. Too. This is somebody you, uh, that you met recently, but that somebody we have known for four or five years. Like we know on right. a first name basis. Would yeah? Would we know their first name if they showed up in the studio? I'm pretty sure. Would we know their last name? Possibly. So I'm thinking listener. So it's a, it's a uh, listener, not a coworker. Yeah, she just got out of a relationship. Like, how long do you late before you? 
Yeah. It hasn't been a week. What? What are you asking? She just wanted to go out and get laid. I guess so. <laughs> she called me. Thank you, Taboo Video. <laughs> I'm going to give a plug. If you notice, our shelf is empty. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I used everything on the shelf. <laughs> Thank you, Taboo. Did you use? Everything's gone. <laughs> oh, my God. <sighs> you said go ahead. Wow. I, when we said Rick, go ahead, I didn't really think. I mean, whatever. Rick, you know what's missing. I know what's missing. <laughs> you know what's missing. The, okay. thing for... the thing that shall not be named is missing. Wait, which thing are you talking about? You talking the, about the, the thing that relieves tension? Yes. The thing. Sarah <laughs> <laughs> just filled up a giant plastic water bottle. It wasn't that big. That's I would hope not. Um, oh. uh, Jesus, I don't even know where to... Okay. So, and again, we, we won't ask you to identify this person. Is it her... Well, we will off the air. Is it her <laughs> request not to be named on the air? Oh, definitely. Okay. And or even, so, not even off air either. All right. Well, so let's... And so, to be clear about this, we will not uh, we will not then ask you to, to divulge your identity. But it, so this is... But just so we can sort of sketch around the edges. So this is somebody that Sarah and I know on uh -huh. a, by first name, probably not last name. So I'm... So was she married or was she no. in a relationship? She was in a relationship. She's in a relationship. Now single. Now single. So I'm But thinking... she's trying to get back or work things out, and basically I could probably screw those, that up. So well, it sounds like she's going about it the right <laughs> way. <laughs> you know who I will have sex with? Richie Bristol. You know what's going to make my relationship better? Right on track. Richie comes over with a huge dildo. <laughs> um, no, but you know, when you bring it, let's get space and see if you want to date other people. You're Mr. Right Now. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. So, blah, blah. so I understand it. So this is just my speculation. So the... Um, so, so the the boyfriend she's with is like some uh, leftovers that you wrap in foil and stick in the back of the fridge while you're out sort of trying all the other restaurants, knowing that the other restaurants don't really give you what you need. You got those leftovers at home, and those are nice and predictable, and you know they'll be there. I'm just saying that would be my read on the situation. Wait, so she just recently broke. So were they like broken up before, and then they got back together, and then they're broken up now again? Or was uh, this just like all I know is they broke up less than a week ago and said, "What are you doing? What up? What up?" Now, did, did this person, this woman, did she contact you? Oh yeah. Did Very call, aggressively. Too. Did she call you or MySpace you or email you? Oh, MySpace. I love MySpace. Okay. Because um, I'm trying to figure out, and again, we won't ask you to tell us who it is, but it's, it's, I'm trying well, to figure out the level of the relationship. Uh, so she MySpaced you. So she MySpaced you. So she, is she one of your MySpace friends? Uh-huh. Is she like a newer friend? Uh, I, don't know. I don't know. I have so many. I'm such a MySpace How many friends do you have? How many MySpace friends do you have? Like 3,000 something. Really? Yeah. Because I only have... It's seventeen hundred or something like that. Fifteen hundred. Yeah, that's like my business card. I mean, I'm kind of. I mean, I'm a little. I'm a little. I'm a little picky about it though. Sarah and I are both are not not about people here, but I mean about people from other states or just every guy in a band in Los Angeles who somehow got my MySpace account. Like I won't add. Yeah, I'll like add anybody that wants to. I'm a MySpace for. All right. Um. And everything on that back shelf is gone. Yeah. All right. We Including that cherry so where'd flavored So what did you guys do? Where'd you go? All I know is I need more. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Uh, Why would you just make that hip thrusting motion now when you, as you say that? Um, so is, was this at your place? Uh, one, no, we went one, had one drink. Uh-huh. Well, it drank, only took her one drink. I drank half a... Sounds like she was ready. I drank half a beer because, you know, I want to keep my... You want to have your wits about you. <laughs> uh-huh. And then uh, we went and watched Family Guy, and she jumped me. <laughs> I wasn't what really... was her drink? Uh, I don't even know. So what was like, the, so I was guys, kind of, like, uncomfortable. Cause so, like, one scotch and an episode of Family Guy. That's some foreplay you got going on there. And then out comes the glass, out comes the glass dildo. <laughs> Richie, all right, so, so how exactly, what was your correspondence, like, leading up to? Yeah, did she email that, like, you and be like, hey, remember me? Let's get together and, and 
you know, get down. No, it was it was weird because it was only like three or four messages in. It was like, uh, I love your pick, blah, blah, blah. Oh, well, thank you, blah, blah, blah. And then back, well, how's your day going? My day is going great. You want to have sex? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I wish I could show you. Um, you can. You can, you can of course. Can. <laughs> you can print it out and just remove you the send name. Me, you forward I'll show the emails text. all the time. I'll, I'll, I'll cut text. Yeah, you just okay. show us the text Yeah, because those are, the, that, that girl, she doesn't care because, you know. So, but the other one. All right. So she, but so, but she, she messaged you and just said, "Hey, what's up?" LOL, winky thing. On the fourth one, it was like, "How about this?" <laughs> I'm like, "Holy did, moly!" Did she say, "Let's"? Did she say, <laughs> "Holy moly"? <laughs> holy moly. <laughs> did she say, "Let's get together to go out," or did she say, no. "Why don't we hook up?" Did she say, "Like, why don't let's get together?" And F word was in the sentence. Really? <gasps> yes. Really? Yeah. And I was like, "Is this a joke?" I mean, come on. Did you? I mean, did you? Did you ask her that? Did you try to feel out, so to speak, whether it was real? I mean, did you try to like get a sense of? Well, I said I felt like I was on some kind of candid camera, right? Kind of jokes on Richie. Kind you know, of but thing. I think the internet has really like allowed people to be much more. I think the internet has allowed people to be much more sort of forward about that sort of a thing. Uh-huh. I mean, that's kind of my sense is that it's just the internet has allowed people to just sort of be be very upfront about things like that. Uh-huh. But the first thing I very uh, first thing I did was I'm making sure it's a chick. <laughs> <laughs> Good for I you. don't care what the picture looks. It's so like. great about your life though that you're not verifying that she's of age or that she's single. You know, or that she, she just that she actually, yeah, that she doesn't have a penis. Yeah. So, all right. And so then you get together for one drink and then you went to uh, her place or yours? Mine. Yours. Do you live alone? Uh, I live with my brother. That's right. Remember because of the whole yeah. chat with the blocking of the, where was your brother at? Uh, I told him to get lost. Really? Did you say, did you hang a necktie on the, on the door handle? No, I preemptively told him three days prior that. I knew this since. Oh, wait. So when did this conversation happen? Last week. Last week. Okay. And so she said, well, okay, well, let's, you know, Wednesday night, let's get together. Uh, no, that just like this weekend. All right. Good for you, Richie. All right. Well done. Thank um, you, Taboo. I, I say. <laughs> taboo video. You know how long those, those things have been sitting in here? I thought you were going to say, you know how long they are. No. Um, it, uh, well, but they've been sealed, though. That thing that is for the relief of a certain kind of tension. Oh, yeah. And you know what? Their packages are like hard to open. You know what I No, it's that like clamshell molded yeah, plastic. Yeah, so I'm in the moment going, I'm going to be romantic. Who in the moment for that? <laughs> oh, well, just a second. Let's be, let me get a knife. <laughs> you know what you got to get? you got to get that thing. I think it's called the package shark. Have you uh-huh. seen that? The package shark. It's badass. Lara got it for me for Christmas. It's, um, it, it's like a pair of industrial scissors, mm. but it is specifically made to open that molded plastic packaging that a lot of things come in. You know, because if you buy whatever, you, 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 you know, you buy a tool set or, you know, a vibrator or whatever, and it comes in that molded plastic, and you're, like, trying to open it, and scissors won't go through it, uh-huh. and it's and called a package. And you always cutting yourself? Totally. It's called a package shark, and it is made specifically to cut those open. Works like that. you got to get yourself one of those. Oh, yeah, because you don't want to pre-open those packages. <laughs> yeah. That way they know they're new. Yeah, no, that one, that's, I would imagine that that's a concern if a woman was comes just, over. Did you just whip out your bag of tricks then after she Was she impressed you? that you had such a massive display of sex toys? Well, you act like you... you you hide them in different areas so that it, all your different stuff, you go, okay, lotion under the pillow. And then the batteries in between the sheets. And Why would you do that? Because then you go from Then there. it's like an Easter egg hunt for sex? <laughs> no, you start on one corner of the bed, you go to the other corner of the bed. If you're on the floor, you can reach out. Why, what do we have here? <laughs> so you hide sex toys all over your apartment, like a little kid hide candy. <laughs> exactly. Under the couch. You know that you've forgotten one that your mom's going to come over and, you know, there's going to be a black mambo. Though my mom doesn't come over. <laughs> she knows better. <laughs> well, okay, then. Okay. Fantastic, Richie. All right. All right. What is that line? Doing the line wrong from Monty Python. French ticklers, black mambas. All right. Uh, yeah. Wow. 
I did not know the thing about how he took all the yeah. sex toys home off the back shelf. I mean, and I'm not, no, I'm, you know, people have, you know, have sex toys you want to. I'm no prude. But that thing was huge. It is a thing. That thing is huge. Speaking clinically now. Clinically. Speaking clinically now as broadcasters and journalists on the network that once employed Edward R. Murrow. It was a, I would say, largish device, certainly lengthy, that described itself as, quote, being for the relief of anal tension. End quote. Uh, so that's gone. The huge thing of cherry-flavored lubricant is gone. I don't even know what else was there. There's the, the French tickler thing. See, I don't, what, what, can there I was another. You? There was another. It was like a little vibrator. You know, maybe I'm a prude. I don't know what a French tickler is. What is that? I thought that was the thing with the feather. Isn't that what that is? But is it a... We have to be very careful here. It is, looks like a... Is it just a feather or is it a feather attached to something that... It looks like else. a riding crop kind of thing with a feather at the end of it. Interesting. I don't really I don't, know. But I don't even know if that is a French tickler. I'm so lame, though, that like half of my knowledge of sex toys just comes from bad Monty Python sketches. I mean, I, re- I don't really don't know what a French tickler is. I, and I don't even really have sex in the city to watch. There's no guy equivalent uh, to that. So, all right. Well, fair enough. That was so much more than I thought it was going to be right there. I thought it was just going to be, uh, you know. See, I thought it was the Clear Channel girl. I assumed it was her because she's been such a, hey, look at my ass, you know, mm-hmm. the girl. And like she had invited him over to the Clear Channel building no, at one I, point. No, it was like showing her but butt to him. But after he told me that, I, I went to look at her Miss Space page and she has like all these pictures of her and like some dude saying like, we're in love. Right. Well, okay. Maybe it is her. Maybe he's just trying to throw, throw uh, it off the track. You know what? The thing is, Richie, I mean, to my... I my read on Richie is that he doesn't lie about stuff. No, I know. If he, and if he doesn't want to tell you something, or if he, like well, you know when he said he didn't want to tell the girl's name, which is fine. Um, if he doesn't want to say something, he'll just say, "Well, I don't want to say that," or "That's something we should not say on the air," and that's fine. But Richie doesn't just make stuff up. I and I think everybody sort of recognizes that that Richie is he's just sort of a, a very matter of fact about such things. Like you know when he was saying that he got put in the nut house for three weeks or whatever. Mm. He's like, well, there was that one time I was incarcerated in a psych ward for three weeks, and it's like no one had any doubt that he was telling the truth. He's very matter, very bluntly spoken about these things. Um, so when he says that it's Somebody who's see, but the thing is that we would know her first name and not her last name. So I'm thinking it has to be a listener. Oh, I think. Well, I think he said yeah that it was. Oh, really? I, did, I must have. I must have missed that. So. At Barracuda, who are we hanging out with? Oh God, I mean, but at Barracuda, Barracuda, it must have been a listener party, which means that it could have been just a thousand people. It could have been. I mean, literally, there could have been a thousand. Well, half. There could have been five hundred different people. So. Mm. Well, all right. Jesus, it's 5 till noon. Uh, well, let's take a break. We'll come back after this. If you're on hold, hang tight. We'll do phone calls around the corner. Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Uh, coming up later on, top five. The top five worst sounds on earth, followed by the soothing noises of Cheap Trick. Uh, Peter Carlin, Dorothy Carcassari, uh, and uh, so forth. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Don't go anywhere. Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Thank you for coming along. 503-733-2970. I got my uh, electronic press kit from the Womb Stretcher guys today. I think it was a copy of the new album and their press kit or whatever. And he says, uh, Word, thanks for the mention the other day. Your producer really knows how to outdrink the best the city has to offer. Congratulations, Sarah. You've impressed the Womb Stretcher, the magnificent guys. 
Thanks for the ride. Must be. All right. Uh, putting that degree to work. Here's Tim Riley, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for the Rick Emerson Noon News Hour from AM 970 Solid State Radio. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Be on the lookout for missing Washington County schizophrenic man. Today's visit brought to you by our friends at Leif's Auto Collision Centers and Leif's.com. Call today and find out what Leif's can do for you. That's Leif's Auto Collision Center. So our top story, the search is on for missing schizophrenic man in Washington County. Donald Aaron was last seen at the Radio Shack on TV Highway in Aloha. He should be easy to find. He's wearing jeans with red pasta stains on them. <laughs> that could describe me in any night of the week, Those though, really. might be his shopping clothes. So once again, be on the lookout for a man with red pasta stained jeans. He's also wearing a T-shirt, glasses, and a baseball cap. Could be anywhere. There's morning in the Oregon town of Charleston. Somebody has stolen their eight-foot wooden tuna statue that welcomes people into town. It stood in town for two decades at the end of the bridge, welcoming folks to the coastal town of Charleston. The uh, tuna statue's name is Charlie. Uh, because the chain holding the statue was cut, Charlie is presumed stolen. The local merchants association said Charlie was last seen wearing an orange hat and glasses. You're not going to say it? You're not going to say it? Come no. on! No. Come on! No. Come on! He was last seen. you got to say it. You say it. Say what? I'm not going to say it. You say it. You say it. I'm not saying it. Say it. You say it. I'm busy. Sorry, Charlie. Fine. It lacks the zing when I do it. It lacks panache. Okay. Lycus told this great, uh, he, he was on this jag the other day about how he was watching, I don't know, I don't know a lot about baseball, but he was watching some baseball game, the, the Dodgers or somebody, some team, and there was literally a guy, an Asian player whose last name was, wait for it, who, H-U, his name was like, you know, blah, 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 who, and what happened? I don't know. Of course you do. There was a baseball player named who, he hit a single, he ends up on first base. And so then Lycus, as I think rightly so, was infuriated that the announcer didn't say it. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a guy with the last name of who standing on first base in a Major League Baseball game. And Lycus described it was fantastic. Tom really just make me LOL occasionally. Lycus told the story of just sitting in his chair at home watching this and just screaming at the television going, Come on! Say it! Come on! And then the guy <laughs> wouldn't say it. How many times in your career... How many times in your career do you let, let's just go through various careers and things uh, that you that you always hear about but never really get the chance to say in baseball you rarely get the chance to say who's on first and the guy never said it the, 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 who was on first for, <laughs> who was on first for apparently four minutes the guy never made the announcement uh, in the newspaper industry one really never gets to say stop the presses. Uh, if you're a kid who like sells newspapers or delivers them very rarely do you ever get the chance to say. Extra, extra, read all about it. There is no radio equivalent to that, though. Uh, no, no, no. But you know what there is in radio? There's the we interrupt this and now this uh, whatever we interrupt this program to bring you a special announcement. Mm -hmm. That's true. We very rarely get to say that. No. All right. Blah blah blah. Sorry, Charlie. Big tuna statue taken. Stop running in front of cars. You're going to get hit. That's what happened to a 46-year-old woman who was hit by a car. She darted into traffic and ran into the path of a driver. This happened in the uh, 10,000 block of Northeast Gleason. A 20-year-old woman driving a Honda Civic had been traveling east on Gleason prior to the crash. 
They're still trying to determine if impairment was a factor, but the woman ran right in front of the car. Another fight on the max, but they caught a bunch of rotten teenagers. Four teens in custody following an altercation on the max in North Portland. This was on the yellow line last night. Uh, apparently, witnesses say a fight broke out when passengers resisted their demands to hand over their money and other items. At least the one passenger sustained a non-life-threatening injury. So, the passengers are fighting back. Excellent. Get style. Yes. Uh, so this was this was yesterday, right, that the Max wasn't running to the airport, that it was just a weird shuttly thing? Oh, yeah. Uh, so I ended up just, uh, because the original plan had been to drive Laura to the airport, and then I was going to take her just to the Max station. But then once I heard that, I, you know, I didn't want to make her, I didn't want to make her do that. And so we, you know, didn't stick somebody who up on a sweaty, disgusting shuttle filled with, like, the worst type of people. Yeah. Uh, so I ended up driving her all the way out to the airport, which is actually not that bad, because we tried to, we tried to, to, like, book it there, like, right at, like, 3.30 or so. We just tried to get on the highway and head out there. There was a great moment as we were on um, the east side of the river, on uh, whatever it is, heading for like the I-84, you know, to take, you just head out of the airport, driving by the Willamette River, and there was, you know, because the boats were all coming in, and there was that uh, that fire ship that comes in, and that's when you realize that really just you are an overgrown child, because I nearly drove off at the road one point because I was distracted by the fireboat shooting, yes, colored water into the air. Because they do that thing where the fireboat, because it's the boat that they use to put out fires in buildings and in harbors and so forth, and... They do that thing where the boat uh, shoots out different streams of water, and, of course, it was red, white, and blue. So I'm sitting there, 35-year-old grown man, being distracted while driving at a high rate of speed in traffic by a boat that's spraying colored water into the air. So that's how my brain works. Here's Tim Riley. Well, for decades, our students have joked about mystery meat that comes from school lunch. Unfortunate task? Well, this thing is a bit too real for a Vancouver man. Adam Swenson said he discovered something strange mid-bite at his favorite burrito at Mooch's Gracias in the Couve. First, he thought it was a fatty piece of meat. Now he's not exactly sure what it is. Uh, it really scared me, and I'm definitely going to think twice before I go back, just because it was so traumatic. I never saw anything so weird in my burrito. <laughs> he thinks it resembles heart valves. Uh, how would you even know that? I don't know. Well, maybe he's an educated fellow from the Couve. Perhaps. Uh, he he says Muchos Garcias uh, remains his favorite restaurant. He even has the bumper, uh, the Chase bumper sticker on his car. That's the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. I found something in my burrito. I think it might be heart valves. Heart valves. I mean, there's, there's no words for how awful that is. All right, here's uh, Sam Riley. Well, who says all the kids in Gresham were bad? Some are good. Students there have created a two-story baking soda and vinegar vinegar volcano. Yes, it's no Mount St. Helens, but it's uh, no third-grade science project either. Students at Mount Hood Community College created a mammoth science volcano and went for Guinness Book of World Records. The students tried to make the record book for the world's largest vinegar and baking soda volcano. So they built a 20-foot-tall mountain in the Gresham campus and staged an eruption yesterday. They said it was for the love of science. That's pretty fantastic. They want scientific careers. They say they're America's lacking uh, scientific survival. They even have a science club there, and its president is Theo Malone. Project Volcano involved 100 pounds of baking soda, 150 gallons of vinegar, to create the eruption. The students aren't sure if they made the Guinness Book yet. 
they said, since there is no previous record, it's up to the book's editors to decide whether or not to include them in it. This, I believe, is the same way that they make the volcano in that episode of the Brady Bunch. Also, this is how you can make a rocket. Kids, don't do this at home without adult supervision. Well, this you can sell Mount Hood Community College. Well, let's see if, you're, if you, do, you do that thing at home where you can get like a, a bottle. You're not supposed to use a wine bottle because I think the glass is really thin. Uh, but you get yourself like a uh, like an empty soda bottle of some kind. And then you fill it about a quarter of the way uh, full of vinegar, and then you roll up a bunch of baking uh, powder inside paper towels, drop it in, jam a cork on the top, and then it blows the whole thing. Occasionally, though, you'll have some kid on your block who miscalculates, and then it's like, you know, then it's another blind summer for Jason. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, this is John. It is you, sir. Hello. Um, you were talking about Eddie, Eddie Izzard earlier, yes. and uh, this pales in comparison to your Richie story, but uh, check out on YouTube um, Death Star... Cantina, Lego Death Star Cantina. Oh, One this. Uh, wait, I'm sorry. It's the Lego Death Star Cantina. Yes. What this is a dumb question? What do you is, it, is this like a like a like a stop motion animation thing done with Legos? Sort of. Yeah, yeah. And it's got an Eddie Izzard skit along with it. Most hilarious thing you've ever seen. All right then. Thank you, my friend. Sure. All right, there you go. There's that guy. Uh, apparently, Eddie Izzard is coming to town on. I was wrong about the date. It says, uh, let's see, uh, where did it go? Uh, blah, 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 blah. I don't have it. I think it's July 14th and 15th, something like that. Uh, so Eddie Izzard is coming to town. Oh, and it's sold out. Uh, so this says, uh, Rick, Eddie Izzard show is sold out. Uh, he will be coming to town July, wait for it, July 14th and 15th uh, at the uh, Schnitzer Concert Hall. So we're going to do our best to get him on there. Here's Tim Riley. Uh, so this, uh, this what? Hillary thing. Oh. Sorry, am I back now? Yes. So this big Hillary bash coming up Saturday uh, comes after Hillary wrote her supporters an email, and nowhere in this email does it say, A, she lost, or B, Barack Obama beat her. She said, I want you to be the first to know. On Saturday, I will hold an event in Washington, D.C. to thank everyone who has supported my campaign. Over the course of the last 16 months, I've been privileged and touched to witness the incredible dedication and sacrifice. Every minute you put into helping us win, every dollar you gave us for the fight, on Saturday I will extend my congratulations to Senator Obama and for its support for my candidacy. Uh, I have said throughout the campaign I would strongly support Senator Obama if he were the Democratic Party's nominee, and I tend to deliver on the promise. But I decided to run the president. I knew exactly what I was getting into, to work hard every day. So uh, she doesn't say that she lost. Or that he really won. So wait, so when did this go out? So this is she it, sent this, this out just when? went out, and I, it doesn't even have a salutation like "Hello, friends." <laughs> it just starts. I just wanted you to know. I want to share. I would like to share something important. There's with no you letterhead on this at all. <laughs> it's like she it typed it at the local on the Smith Corona. I was just gonna say, it looks as though she typed it at the. Uh, and does it say thank you? Yeah, I'm looking here. I made you and everyone who supported me a promise to stand up for our shared values and to never back down. I'm going to keep that promise today, tomorrow, and for the rest of my life. I will be speaking on Saturday about how together we can rally the party behind Senator Obama. The stakes are too high. The task before is too important to do otherwise. I know I will continue my lifelong work for a stronger America, for a better world. I will turn to you for support because she's like $10 billion in debt. And I will always keep faith with the issues and causes that are important to you. In the past few days, you've shown that support once again with hundreds of thousands of messages to the campaign. And again, I am touched by your thoughtfulness and kindness. I can never possibly express my gratitude, so let me say simply, thank you. Sincerely, Hillary. Beef. It's what for dinner. 
Uh, do you suppose she even knows that letter has gone out, or is that a thing that, because you're right, there's no signature, there's no letterhead, there's no, no logo, there's nothing. There's nothing there. I mean, it does look like something she typed, like, at the sort of communal typewriter they have at the, li you know, the, like, the library recreational center or something. Mm -hmm. I wonder if maybe they just, if one of her people just finally had enough and just put it together and just sent it out because nobody, because everybody's afraid to approach her and discuss it. It'll be like Alexander Haig having to go in and tell Nixon he has to resign, you know what I mean? Walking in, just Nixon with a fistful of booze and pills, just sitting there wondering whether he should launch a first strike against Russia. Mm -hmm. Jesus. All right. Well, there you go. And, and Todd, the corpse race is an interesting question here, which I will ask. Um, I'll ask uh, Lisa about this. He says, I don't know um, which CNN people you're talking to today. We'll talk to Lisa at uh, two o'clock. He says, I have a question about Hillary's campaign. She wasn't going to officially concede until Saturday, but that only creates more questions. Much like when a candidate says, I'm not going to officially announce my candidacy until next week. Isn't that making the announcement? And is there a difference between telling people you're going to be announcing and the actual official announcement? And isn't Hillary officially announcing anything until Saturday? Then what is her campaign doing until then? Are they still campaigning until Saturday when she officially quits? This makes no sense. Todd, P.S. Richie is truly disgusting. All right, so, um, well, we'll try to... Uh, obtain answers to all of those questions later on. Hello, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show, sir, madam, as the case may be. Be gripping. Oh, crap, I haven't been screened. Bye. <laughs> People are funny. That was inadvertently amusing. All right, here's Tim Riley. So then we have Barack Obama. He is holding a town meeting in Virginia for some reason. He said we had a pretty big 48 hours coming in after a long campaign. A historic campaign that involved outstanding candidates, none more outstanding than Senator Hillary Rodham Clinton. I congratulate her on her great achievement, and I know I'm a better candidate because I ran against her. So apparently uh, all Hillary supporters gave her a good shaking and uh, tried to get some uh, knowledge into her head. Good slapping. <laughs> Uh, Charlie Rangel said he made several phone calls and urged Hillary to call it quick. I was assured she was <laughs> going to really close the uh, campaign down on Friday. And so we are endorsing today because we want to support what she's doing on Saturday. But it allows us to get on with the question of unity. Has anybody ever asked Charlie Rangel what's wrong with his voice? Has anybody ever broached that question to him in an interview? I guess that's what he's best known for, really. I mean, is, it, is that just is that his gimmick? Is that his hook? Yeah. His defining trait? Mm -hmm. I mean, is this something very weird about the way he speaks? To the best of my knowledge, he's not riddled with he's not riddled with cancer or anything. To the as far as I know, he's, just, he's got a whole weird speech thing there that you sort of wonder why somebody hasn't pulled him aside. So, like, Charlie, you need to clear your throat. Yeah, I think you've got a little something there in your epiglottis. I give cartons of luckies to all my friends every Christmas. <laughs> well, he's a uh, oh. I have one more. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, we'll put these Please in. All right, we'll get the call. Uh, Charlie said Hillary's causing a ruckus. We're not endorsing Barack Obama. Quicker. The fact that it was not concluded with a strong endorsement for Senator Obama is awkward. And you can't talk about unity when there's only one candidate and you have an endorsement. Clear your throat. For the love of God. I are on the Rick Emerson Show. That's fantastic. Richie. All right. Here's Tim Riley. Well, that is a shame. Uh, What's so, he doing back there? I don't understand. I'm not even really sure that he's in the room. I think uh, he's having lunch. I think he's, he's doing damage control with the girl, honestly. <laughs> is that true? Uh, yeah, he wrote me an email saying, like, we this is not going well. We didn't identify I don't, her. I never know who she is. I don't know I who don't she know. is. And, in fact, in point of fact, and we'll talk more about this later on when the news hour is over, but in point of fact, during the break, I went and told Richie, because, to be fair, you were in there sort of peppering him with more follow-up questions, and I actually said flat out, like, I don't want to know. Just because I think it's actually funnier if I don't. It's more entertaining. Because if I, here's the thing, because if I knew, 
and I'm not asking the no, Richie. If I knew, then it's like I would have to be really careful about what I said and what I didn't say. Right now, I can just kind of say whatever because I don't know. I have no idea who it is. I, put a gun to my head, I wouldn't be able to tell you who it was uh, that Richie had animal-like relations with. Um, but uh, so right now, I couldn't tell you at all. So I'm, so I'm sort of free to talk about it because I know that I couldn't even inadvertently reveal anything. I have plausible deniability, as they say. Uh, so, well, in any event. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Good day. This is Jeff. Yeah. And I'm uh, on the I-84. Hello, Jeff. Hello. Hey, um, you know, this declaring candidacy on a certain date and how that's not the same as when you say I'm going to do it on such a date? Yeah. Isn't there something with the declaring of the candidacy? You have to have so many uh, signatures on a petition and then come up with, like, a wad of money to I guess, but most of the people who declare their candidacy or who do the, like when, uh, uh, who was it, that, when uh, Fred Thompson or whatever went on Jay Leno and said, I'm going to declare myself a candidate next. I mean, he already had all of his crap in place. I think it's just a way to sort of milk publicity and to turn one day's worth of media coverage into three weeks worth of media coverage. But this doesn't even make any sense. Like, it's, it's as I think Jeffrey Dubin did yesterday in CNN, like, he won. Uh, so it seems like she's sort of just dragging this out. I mean, really so, disproportionately so, even for a Clinton. Getting, you know, the media coverage or what, is it working the inverse if you, you know, quote, announce something on a Saturday that it's not in the week, the week's um, news cycle, that where if you announce something on a Monday, then they drag it all week long. I guess. And if you do it on a Saturday, does it just kind of like dissipate by Monday morning? Well, it is. It, it, it's too late to book guests for the Sunday talk show. Yeah. If you do something on a Friday or Saturday, especially Saturday, it, yeah. you can, it's called, you know, you, you're burying it late in the news cycle. Right. Uh, so Stephanopoulos won't be calling her up. Saying, exactly. Yeah, yeah I don't suspect there are going to be any conversations between Hillary Clinton and George Stephanopoulos ever again, by the way. It, the only conversations those guys are going to have are going to be through the late night whispered ones where a guy is like, I know where you live and I know what kind of car you drive. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. No, hi, Rick. Hey. Hey, maybe just some random venting. You're talking about donation uh, beggars at the grocery stores. Well, I was saying there was a particular uh, grocery store that, that I go to, which I will not name, that where the woman asked me to, if I wanted to round up. And it wasn't even rounding up because it was like $9.04. And so it was, in fact, like a, a whole other buck she wanted to hit me for. And I said, you know, no thanks. Uh, and then she said, that would only make it $10, sir, sort of in the within earshot of everybody else. It was sort of this, uh, it was like a, like a low-grade browbeating that I did not appreciate. Right. The last time it happened to me, I was at the uh, drive through and I just spent $15 for three gallons of gas, and I had $1 left. And so I ordered off the dollar menu, and they said, would you like to donate a dollar to whatever? And I'm like, no, I don't want to double my order. Thanks. <laughs> I don't want to give 200%. Excellent. Thank you. All right. Uh, here's Tim Riley. So what are we going to do about these uh, Hillary feministas out there? Especially the ones in Minnesota, apparently the worst kind. The president of the Minnesota Feminist Caucus, Mary. <laughs> is that the name of a particularly strident emperor? Yes. Is that? Her name is Mary... Pokanowski. Wait, does M A R I Pokanowski. Would you read would you read that story from the beginning again? She's the president of the Minnesota Feminist Caucus. <laughs> and her name is Mary Pokanowski. Feminist Caucus. <laughs> is that that sounds like Feminist Caucus sounds like the, Does the that sign, sound something in Latin? It sounds doesn't that sound like the scientific name for some kind of bird that eats the man after mating with him? 
Jesus. All right. Or, no, wait, no, Feminist Caucus would be the really, really unpleasantly shrewish wife of an ancient Roman uh, emperor. No, here she is. And his, and his wife, Feminist Caucus. For the first time in our history, an African-American man and a woman have been able to at least get to the table, the proverbial table. And it just isn't quite our time yet. But does it mean that it's never going to happen? Heaven's sakes, no. It means that we are at least there. We are part of the conversation. It's become reality that this can happen. Wait, no. Wow, three edits. Maybe it's the scientific name for that, um, uh, for that man that's pregnant uh, with, a, uh, uh, with, with a baby. Maybe it's... I can tell I'm... Tim's already moved on. I actually no, saw I, you I'm, pick up the news and no, turn it no, over I'm and set it in the discard pile. Very intently. Feminist <laughs> caucus. <laughs> doesn't it? Doesn't it sound like it would be sort of like it's right next to like Carcarian Carcarius or something? It's, it's one it, of those. It is amusing. I just can't put my finger on why. <laughs> like it would be like some kind of a like some kind of a really butch bartender at Greenwich Village. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yes, I think it's just like that. I think Gloria Allred might fall into the uh, fall into that species, Tim. Mm-hmm. I think Gloria Allred might be a species that might, that might be a member of the feminist caucus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hi, I'm 35 years of age. Here's Tim Riley. And we all sit in here with you with no problem every day listening to this. Yes, that's only because you know there's a light at the end of the tunnel, though. That's only because you know you get to go home at the end of the day. Right? I mean, that's what makes it bearable. That's, let's be honest. It's well, that and also that you're paid. It's unbearable. It's amusing. Thank you. Glad I can, uh, glad I can make everybody giggle. Mm-hmm. Well, it was just a few years ago that Microsoft chairman Bill Gates says his company had high hopes in finding a way to uh, mostly end the problem of unwanted email spam. High hopes? That's what he said. High, high hopes? High, high hopes. apple pie in the sky hopes? Mm-hmm. Yes. Today, spam is still a growing problem, but Internet providers are getting better to help you block it. Uh, Yahoo's Spam Czar. How would you like that title? I would love to be called a Spam Czar. Well, Yahoo does have a Spam Czar. Probably says so on his door. His name is Mark Risher. He said there is uh, one thing you can do to really help them. Treat your email address like you would a phone number. To be a little careful about whom you give it out to. That's really groundbreaking advice from Microsoft. Is that's that the best. That's the best. He's, is he a member of the feminist caucus? I don't know. He, no, he's a spam czar. Treat your email address like you would a phone number. To be a little careful about whom you give it out to. Don't give it away for free, kids. Make them work for it. Um, all right. Is that the best Microsoft can come up with? Don't leave your email address laying around the internet everywhere. That's it. That's the best that the Bill Gates computing empire can give me. Uh, I will say this, you know, that's uh, even though we use uh, Microsoft Outlook here for CBS, I will say that uh, that's the thing. This is why this is why it's such a horse race between Microsoft and, and uh, Google, though, because Gmail has such an impressive spam filter. Uh, I mean, and, and, you know, and Yahoo's is OK, but Gmail, I think, really does have the definitive spam defeating algorithm on planet Earth. And it, it, it's really astounding. Uh, that, that Microsoft, of all companies, hadn't been able to get their act together on that. I mean, it really is, it seems like at this point, it, I mean, I know that's part of the thing about the so-called fuzzy computing, where you're trying to get a computer to figure out things that are not necessarily binary or linear uh, or a word like that. Uh, but, I mean, if I can look at something and tell that it's spam, it seems like it's only a matter of time until you can have a computer created that can figure out that something is spam. So just, just puzzling that Microsoft can't just kind of get their crap together on that. Speaking of non-Microsoft things, I was told today 
And it could be as little as three weeks before the next generation iPhone comes out. Is that true, really? That's what that's what the person told me today. All right. Okay. At, at the uh, the phone store, I had to go buy a temporary phone. Oh, that's right. Do you have the other broke. phone with you? Can you have the broken phone with you? Has Sarah seen it? Oh, it's fantastic. Sarah, check no, out, what check happened? Check out Jim's phone. Well, I tried to, to super glue it back together, but it, it's hard to talk <laughs> on a phone that's in two pieces. So, Tim has a flip phone, like one of the Star Trek communicators. Now, did you have it opened and then you sat on it and snapped it back and no, broke no, it off? No, I, I opened it one day and it, just, and it snapped. So you for su- no reason super glued it back together. Well, what happened was. It, uh, the super glue worked when I had it in the down position, but when I went to open it, it, it so tore off half the phone this morning. Oh no! And and the, so, the the worst part is, some of the super glue dripped into the on button, so I was I was unable to turn the phone back on. So I had to go to the phone store and said, I know I know that the new Apple phone which I want. Which is supposed to be a hundred ninety nine dollars. For some reason, sir, my phone doesn't seem to be working. I I want a temporary phone, and, and and I I want one that's close to free because I want a phone that's just a phone. I I don't want to send email. I want one like you know the jitterbug right. or the Glenn Miller or whatever that that thing for old people is the jitterbug phone that you know it just has numbers. Oh on. yeah, right. Okay. So the Glenn uh, Miller, whatever it is. So I, I got one of those phones that just a phone to talk on. You, I, I wish you know. would play dumb about why your phone wasn't working. The fact that you poured super glue into it, I wish you I don't know. <laughs> I uh, just picked it up and it stopped working. It's the damnedest thing. Ah, and then just sort of shrug with kind of a wah, wah. So I was going to give it a second try to glue it back together, but I realized <laughs> even if I managed to glue it back into one piece, I still, I still can't push the on button. You still because... poured super glue into the on button. <laughs> the best part is how... The best part is how your your explanation of well it was all well and good until I tried to open it. So like if you never wanted so you to actually super touch it the shut? phone. Well, I thought I thought the glue was dry <laughs> because the instruction it dries within twenty minutes. So sure. I, I left it downstairs in my garage, and it, and the garage gets cold at night. So I decided to bring it upstairs so the phone didn't get too cold. And I thought well it must be done drying. And I, I you know I don't call people on my phone ever. Yeah. So uh, so I tried it again this morning. And I had a hard time opening it. Why? Well, it seems to be stuck for some reason. So once I pulled it open, it snapped in half. <laughs> then when I tried to start it, I noticed be- because I had closed it, the glue that I had used to keep it together had leaked into the on button. And therefore, I can't even turn the phone on anymore. Oh, that's fantastic. But of course, nobody's tried to call me anyway, so <laughs> it really doesn't make Have there been any frustrating calls where you just looked at If only I could answer this. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh. That's great. All right, so but you got a, a new what, temporary phone. phone. I do. And I love this phone because I had this during that the unpleasant time right. when nobody called it, so I didn't use it even back then, but I do hang on to it. Occasionally checking, calling yourself just to see if it works. Yeah, it works. There must be a ring function on this. I, why isn't it ever ringing? I, I thought I had friends. I had friends when I was on the radio. Yeah. No, I know that. I know that, too, Tim. So this is that phone from that period of time. Are you going to keep it? Well, it... You know, it never rained back then either. So, <laughs> so what's the difference? I really? Know, really. You might as well just—I just can't turn it on anymore. You could just put a small stone in your pocket that has the word "phone" written yeah. on the top of it. <laughs> just get a piece of wood and write "phone." Just stick it in your pocket. It's exactly the same. So now, once again, I am prepared for all those big offers. Yeah, of course. That, that, that are showered upon Pouring me every in. day. Oh, I'm sure all access is going to get in touch any day now, Tim. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, are you a pro on the loose? Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, we you know we were just browsing these free twenty word classified ads that DJs put because that's where we try to throw all of our big money. How would you like a job? Uh, all right. Well, you know, and so you've got a temporary phone until the new iPhone comes out. 
Yes, I bought it for nineteen dollars. It's mine to keep. Good for you. You know, phones are really weird. Phones are like credit uh, uh, credit card sized calculators. Cause you know, like in the fifties, there were those computers that took up a whole room, yeah. like ENIAC or whatever that computer was, took up a whole room. And and that you like you go fill up your tank with gas, like have a free calculator. And I mean, it, you know, it's like get you to the moon. Uh, so it is with cell phones. I mean, you know, I'm old enough to remember having the big Motorola brick. Uh, I still got one of those at home, actually, sitting in my basement somewhere. Uh, but now, because it's safe, but don't they sell those phones now that, like, literally you can get them at, like, 7-Eleven for, like, 30 bucks, and they just work? It's like it's just it's like it's disposable. Like, you use it until it runs out, and then you mm. toss it in the trash. I mean, that really is pretty astounding when you think about it. So, uh, well, good. And you're going to be getting the iPhone? If if they come out with the $199 ones, which they promised. Now, what is now is the $199? I don't want anybody to think I'm anti-iPhone. Is the $199 iPhone, gig phone. is it scaled down in some way? Yeah, it's only 3 gigs. Well, but who needs 3 gigs? Who needs more than It's a phone. Yeah. I mean, why would you need more than 3 gigabytes on a phone? I know I sound they like a Luddite. You, they convince you that you need 8. You don't need 8, you don't need 8 gigabytes on your phone. No. I mean, especially you, because, I mean, you have, like, a regular computer, right? It's not going to be... Yes. I mean, even if you're storing music or something on it. I mean, if you're storing 3 gigabytes worth of music on your phone... You're spending too much time away from the house. I mean, really. You go just home. need to go home. Just go home and see your family. They'd probably like to see you, too. Who needs to get... I know that I need to have 7,000 songs on my phone. Just go home and play with your children, okay? Uh, so, yeah, the iPhone is... You know what? The people love their iPhones. So if I... I have to tell you, if I was just a, just like a regular consumer on the street, I might have an iPhone, actually. If I didn't have to have something that worked with the CBS uh, email system. I mean, I really do. I will say this. Uh, it's not a paid plug. I'm just saying. I do. Well, that's true. You got one of those uh, blueberries. The BlackBerry, man. I have to say that BlackBerry 8830. Um, you know, the, the one small complaint I have about it is it doesn't have a camera because it's the corporate edition. Yeah, you can't take pictures of documents in here. That's right? the thing. You got to take them home in that's, your suitcase and do it outside. I got to hide them in my booth, the old-fashioned, the fawn hallway. Uh, that's the one thing. The BlackBerry corporate edition, the world edition, they call it, doesn't have a camera because I think companies asked BlackBerry uh, to to make a phone with no camera. That aside. I got to tell you that BlackBerry phone I have—that's like the best thing I've ever owned. It's fantastic. I mean, it's up there with the TiVo. That BlackBerry is amazing. It is—it's—it's it's, it, because I had the Motorola Q, and then I had like some other cell phones before that. And this BlackBerry—it just blows everything away. It's, it's far and away. It's, it's the best handheld slash phone device I've ever had in my life. So, uh, all right, well, that's fantastic. Uh, let's see here. Here's a woman calling to correct us on computer things. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. This okay, doesn't seem okay. possible. It says you're a woman, but you're calling up to clarify something about science. Oh, stop I'm it. I'm just no. kidding. <laughs> Shouldn't you be cooking? <laughs> no, well, I am walking dogs with my three-year-old son, so I All guess right, I then. am doing womanly things. Okay. So. Um, it's a 3G phone, not 3 gigabytes. 3G is a network. Like my phone that I have, the AT&T network is, sorry, can I say words? Can I say brand names? Well, whatever. It's... <laughs> okay, so it's on the 3G network. So it'll be an 8-gigabyte phone. Who could possibly need 8 gigabytes of memory on their phone? How many phone numbers could you... What well, do the you iPhone, well, because you're going to put songs and all that other stuff and do all sorts of... You know, it's a, it's a multitasking device. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> uh, so when does that come out, Tim? They said in about three weeks. All right. But so he wouldn't I tell me think, anymore. I think it's June 29th, but I think he makes the announcement next week on the 9th. Uh, and by he, you mean Steve Jobs. Yes. Yes, the uh, almighty. Yes, uh, now, are you a proud uh, Apple consumer and user? 
Yes, I have an iMac. I love my Good iMac. I will never go back. Of course. No, I mean, people I have who, one, too. The, the, thing about, the thing about Apple is Apple has done... Apple has done better than any company, I think, maybe ever. That's a bold statement, but maybe, maybe. I, I think Apple has done, for, in terms of physical products, in terms of, like, in other words, I don't mean, like, entertainment, like bands or uh, actors or something. In terms of physical, tangible products, I would say, and you guys, Tim and Jennifer, might back me up on this because you're consumers of Apple products, Apple has done a better job than any company in history of forming an emotional connection between consumers and the company. Right. Well, it it works better because no one's. But I mean, leaving aside the issue of whether it works better, it's it's just that there is something about that Apple vibe because no one goes home and goes, I yeah, love my Windows PC with everything in me. But people love the Mac or the Apple products. They love them. Yes, we is your do. Child but fighting again, with a dog in the background? Because they were. No, that's my three-year-old. Okay. He, All right. Yeah. No, the dogs are being good, actually. <laughs> um, I would, uh, if you're a fan of Steve Jobs, and it sounds like you are, I would highly recommend a book called Icon, uh, which I suppose is a play in words, but it's I-C-O-N, Icon. Uh, Steve Jobs, the second greatest act in the history of business, uh, which is a story about his banishment from Apple, and then his failure with the next computer company, and then his return to Apple and his revolutionizing of the music industry. Maybe you should add that to your um, your uh, recommendations at the uh Powell Cedar Hill Crossing. Oh, I go over there I, just about every day. Perhaps I will, just in time for this coming Saturday's Dungeons and Dragons Geek Fest. Yes, that's going to be happening. You should there. do that. All right, thank you, Jennifer. Take care. Uh, there you go. Yeah, the book is called Icon: Stephen Jobs and the Second, uh, uh, the Greatest Second Act in the History of Business. Uh, it really is a, a fantastic book for anybody who's sort of um, interested in, in, in so the, the rise, fall, and rebirth of Steve Jobs, who really is one of the great, one of the great business tycoons of the late twentieth century. Here's Tim Riley. Meanwhile, MTV Networks Europe has been fined a total of $485,000 by a media regulator for persistent and widespread breaches of the broadcast code by four of its channels. The Viacom-owned operator will have to pay uh, penalties for a highly offensive language and material. Uh, they complain about a number of shows, including the repeated use of the word mother effer, F-U, and F. Uh, additionally, they, uh, they play the song by a group called Window Licker, which was full of uh, racist text messages that aired on MTV France. Window Liquor. Mm -hmm. Is that the name of a band? Yeah. All right. So apparently there's MTV UK, which I knew about, MTV France, which I didn't know, and MTV Hits. And I know there's an MTV Germany, too. Yeah. So I don't know how many other languages there are. Uh, let's see. This email says, damn it, I think Richie is nailing my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I woke up late last night and she wasn't next to me. Damn you, Richie. Well done, Richie. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Uh, Hold yeah. on. Before you plunge on ahead, I'm seeing on the screen you're I calling know. about Monty Python. Yes, I know. And the thing is, I was... Uh, you know it, you can't say what you're calling it to say, right? I know. I know. I know. Um, so I think I'm going to have to just throw that to the side because uh, there's no sense in just getting it bleak. Let me just say that Tim used the phrase, <laughs> a member of the feminist caucus. <laughs> and, you, and you were calling in, though, to reference something... That Don't. I have a very great friend in Rome. That's what I'm talking. Feminist caucus. That's what I'm saying. Yes, All but right. we can't go no. there. Uh, but I was going to say about about Hillary. Um, you know, uh, Hillary managed to do what eight years of Republican uh, slam could not. You mm. know what I mean? It was like when she first. You know, I was like, oh wow, Hillary's going to be president. You know what I mean? I was like, you know, it was like eighteen months ago. That's what we all said eighteen yeah. months ago. Oh, yeah. and, that, and you know what? Eighteen awesome. months ago, it seemed like a good idea. Kinda, and then after watching just, you know, especially the last two months, 
where she was just saying everything to everybody. Yeah. You know what I mean? And she just completely had let go of of any sort of like, uh, you know, I mean, she, whatever room she was in, she was just like you. Well, that's the, I, the I, worst part was anytime she talked, yeah. you realized, oh, somebody should have done something exactly. with your voice. <laughs> and I it can't was just, put up with four years of this. Yeah, exactly. And so, like I said, you know, Rush Limbaugh and all these guys, boom, boom, boom. You know, you know, uh, I, Hillary in the office, you know, two years ago would have seemed like an amazing thing. And now I'm like, I don't know. It might have worked out. Well, I got and, one observation to make, one sort of comedic yeah. observation, uh, the other sort of serious observation. I'll do the serious one first, and that's <laughs> this. That, And I was talking to Chris Neven about this. It is having... Having uh, the Democratic Party having picked Barack Obama to run, he mm -hmm. better he better win now. I will say that he better win because whatever problems people have with Hillary, I think she was electable against John McCain. I think against yes. John McCain, she would have. I mean, she could have stayed home this fall and still beat John McCain <laughs> just because the Bush administration is so unpopular. McCain seems like he's a thousand years old and he's out of touch. And so, I mean, Hillary could have won without breaking a sweat. So yeah, that's fine. They went a different way. But having passed over a candidate who, whatever one thinks of her, was electable, this gamble on Obama had better pay off. Or there's going to be like recriminations all the way around. That being said, here's the other thing. Tim nailed it with Hillary's voice. The thing about it is, is that Barack has such, and I mean this in the sense of, what do they call it, timbre or whatever, the, the tone, mm -hmm. uh, he has such a, a mellifluous voice. I mean, really, a voice that is very pleasing Middle to listen American. to. Yeah, and it just, but it has a, it has a, a warm yet crisp sort of feel to it. Mm -hmm. And and they try to get McCain to do that the other night. Did you see and the speech? speech? It doesn't work. With a fake smile. And he just sounds old. <laughs> he just sounds like his voice is about to come apart. Thank you, my friend. Um, and so the, the thing is, so Barack has a very pleasing speaking voice. McCain doesn't. Hillary sure as F doesn't because it's a whole lot of manning and then and then and then. You know, and it's just, it's like a corkscrew turning in your brain. And I think really in the end, what damned George W. Bush was that voice of his. Because think about it. I mean... If I started to play George W., I don't have any cuts from him, but if I started to play George W. Bush talking right now, then, I mean, just, just see, Sarah's doing it right now. She's like cringing and hunching up her shoulders a little bit. Before, when Becca was here in promotions, we were talking about George W. Bush, and she actually noted that we have this George Bush quote of the day calendar in the kitchen, and Becca noted that on the printed page was the only way she could even stand to, to like, see George Bush's words or to hear him, you know, his speech, that she said that actually hearing his voice just made her, like, nauseous. Uh, made her nauseated, and um, and I think that's the thing is George Bush just had this voice that just made you angry and bitter, and Hillary has the same kind of voice, and Barack's speaking voice is very very pleasing, and I think that can't be overestimated because people respond to things like that. No matter how much people are like, well, it's I like his stand on the issues. It's also that he can speak without making you cringe. Mm -hmm. So, and Hillary just doesn't have that. Uh, because when she talks, it's just a lot of, uh, let's see if I have, do I have a Hillary sounder here? No, this is just that awful. Boy, here's a trip down memory lane. Who remembers six weeks ago? Oh, yeah. All right, here's Tim Riley. Is it almost time to take a break? Are you saying something, Tim? So. Rick, it's 1241. It's 1241. All right, we'll take a break. Coming up later on, uh, Dorothy Carcassari from the National Enquirer, Lisa Desjardins from CNN. The top five worst noises on Earth. Uh, it is High Concept Thursday as well. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Don't go anywhere. Evil thoughts and evil 
Rick Emerson Radio Program. Do you ever have somebody recommend a band to you because they're convinced that you'd love the band? And you've never heard, I mean, you've never heard of the band or you've never heard the band. And then you look at this and you think, is this the kind of band I would truly like? Or does this person think something about me that isn't true? Rick, I'm surprised I've never heard you talk about... Three Inches of Blood. My friend Amanda loves them. Really? Uh-huh. What is their deal? Are they really? a metal band? They sound yeah, like metal. they're going to be a metal band. They're pretty fantastic. Oh, hey, they're a fantastic metal band from Vancouver, B.C. They are playing June 6th. When is that? When is June Tomorrow. 6th? Tomorrow. Tomorrow? Yeah. Uh, at the Roseland. Oh, wait. I'm going to that already. That's weird. What's going on here? What? I don't know. Who? Huh? What? What are you going to? What? You're going out? What is happening to Why him? Why are you going out? Why was Tim doing that just now? I, I don't know. What? What? Okay, Rick, go forward. Anyway, um, they're playing June's. I was going to say, well, I'm going to beat the Roseland because uh, um, Hatebreed is at the Roseland tomorrow, and I'm a big mm. Hatebreed fan. Hatebreed and Typo Negative, which seems like a weird, and I'm trying to figure out who's headlining there so I know, well, maybe it doesn't matter, blah, 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 blah. So I was going to see Hatebreed tomorrow, but the ticket says Hatebreed, Typo Negative, and I was unclear about who was headlining, like for who. Because it just seems like a weird mismatch anyway. Because Hatebreed's like a very sort of intense, really like up tempo. They're kind of a kind of this like hardcore band, and then and then Typo Negative is just like this low, dirgy sort of like goth band. Anyway, so I was gonna say I can't go, but I guess but it looks like they are opening for this. So, so it's like a, so so it looks like they you in turn like are opening for um, Hatebreed and Typo Negative tomorrow. It says I'm only a casual fan, but it's right up your alley. Check out their song "Slay the Orcs." As well as their other song, Wicketron. Done and done, sir. All right. Well, there you go. So depending on depending on how motivated I am tomorrow, I may see them at the, the Roseland opening for the, for the other guys. All right. Here's Tim Riley. Speak of bands you like, the band Yes. No. Has said no to a Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you was. I didn't mean to give you an echo joke there. I'm sorry, Tim. I, I apologize. Oh, for what? Well, I said no, and then you said no as a punchline, and I, I'm sorry. I'll be quiet. Actually, it, it was a line out of, out of this story. All right. So the band Yes has said no to a summer tour. Oh, that's too bad. The band notes in its website statement that front man John Alexander recently suffers from acute respiratory failure. Also from being an ass. Uh, they told him to take six months off to rest and recover and has uh, forced the group to put its performing schedule on hold. Really? And they're going to be missed by no one. There's no one out there clamoring for a Yes concert. Look they're clamoring for a Yes these, concert. Don't email me. concert dates. Oh, they weren't supposed to be here, though. The closest was Seattle. Seriously? At who, the Wamu Theater. Uh, you want to talk about a band? You want to talk about a gig you could go to? There's no women anywhere. Acres and acres and acres of balding, pretentious guys. That's who goes to say Yes. So, I, you know, I, I got to tell you, I'm proud to say that I've hated progressive rock since day from way back. I've hated prog rock from from like age 12. So I have I've been firmly against progressive rocks. I've been against the existence of progressive rock like since I reached the age of reason. So I'm OK with that. Although I will say this, my very first rock interview. That being said, the fact that I loathe you, you know, and you, what is that song? What is that? God, what is that? Yes. song that I had that roundabout roundabout. Jesus. If I ever have to hear the song Roundabout by a man in the roundabout, <laughs> kill me. Uh, I had to play Roundabout. I had to play, um, Jesus, I've seen all good people, oh. owner of a lonely heart. Just like, oh. I like this. I've seen all good people. Seen all good people. I love the almost famous soundtrack. I know. I know. And I, be, I view it as a personal failing of Cameron Crowe's. I know that he's from that era, which is why he likes that song. And apparently you do, too. I can't. I can't. I can't. 
I can't. I can't listen to Yes. I can't. Listening to Yes is like having my teeth slowly filed down with something pointy. It's just, it's unbelievably excruciating to me. And I don't mean to sound disproportionately angry about it, but I, there's a certain kind of sort of snooty art school progressive rock. Because it's it's terrible. (laughs) Because it's the embodiment of all evil and filth in the world. I don't understand. I love that song. See, are you now now digging in your heels? No, because I, I remember the summer between my junior and senior year of college. All I would listen to, we'd always have parties, and on my front porch, on repeat, I would have the Almost Famous oh, soundtrack. Come on! Playing. Who listened? Okay, but that's the Almost Famous soundtrack. That's not Yes. It would, see. But I like that song, though. Um, whatever. All right, I mean, that's between you and the deity that you worship. I Whatever. I mean, I don't think less of you as a person. Not that much. I mean, you listen to enough good music that it sort of balances it out. I'm just saying... Do you think less of Cameron Crowe because he chose to put that a on little bit, a, a little bit. Really, I really do. I mean, again, he's Cameron Crowe, so I can only think a little bit less of him. But I, because Almost Famous is has such a great soundtrack. There's so much great music there, and then you hear Yes, and you're just like, What are you doing? What? Who are you? That's what when Cameron. You have a disproportionate amount of rage about this. I do. I dislike progressive rock. I dislike it intensely. And especially a certain kind of progressive rock. Now, what's the, def- what's the definition of progressive rock? You know, I knew you were going to ask me that, and it's one of those, you're like, you know it when you hear things. But it's like, uh, I would say the hallmark of progressive rock is a very um, clinical and somewhat sterile sound in which songs are, A, very lengthy, B, frequently broken up into multiple sections or sort of movements, and C, where there's a sort of intellectual, where there's a sort of emphasis put on the intellectualism of the song and the ability of the players as opposed to an overall sort of feel. And it does, to me, almost always sound very clinical and very sterile sounding. And it, in other words, progressive rock never sounds like rock. That's the thing. It evolved in the late 60s to early 70s as part of a British attempt to oh. elevate rock music to new levels of artistic credibility. <coughs> oh, was that real? No, that was sort of fake. I mean, I really made that noise, but it wasn't really me retching. Uh, just uh, Art rock is always bad. You know who else is in this category? Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. The Moody Blues. The Moody Blues. Jethro Tull. Jethro Tull. Genesis. Yeah, goddamn lead instrument is a flute. Ew, I don't like any of those Pink groups. Floyd. Oh, come see, on. But see, Pink Floyd, though, is different, though, because Pink Floyd has a legitimately organic and, I would say, emotional feel to it. You listen to your average prog rock, and there's no emotion there at all. I don't mean to sound all hippy-trippy about it, but, you know, a rock song, pop music in general is supposed to make you feel something. When you listen to prog rock, all you're doing is you're supposed to be impressed at how smart everybody in the band is. And then you yourself, being a lifeless, dateless loser, will feel smart. You know what? Prog rock bands and fans are just sitting, you know, they're in a big musical daisy chain where everybody is trying to be impressed at how smart they all are. That's what progressive rock is. Listen to how smart we are. Listen to listen to this. Uh, listen to how I'm going to play this trip on the, the drums. synthesizer and the Mellotron. It's just, it's, mm. it's, it's it, crap. It, it is. Yeah, I don't really like you. I don't like any of these bands, but yes, and Pink Floyd. It is music by overeducated prats for other overeducated prats who think that they are more intelligent than the rest of the world. That's how I feel like a lot of the crap that you hear, you know, on like alternative music stations, oh, not yeah. specifically like 94.7, but I mean just in general, like, yeah. you know, the end, like these people are just trying to make, yeah, it just sounds completely fake. It is. It, that's the thing is there's just no, that's why, you know. I'm sorry, Joni, if you're listening, but, you know, that's my thing about Steely Dan. When I talk about Steely Dan, Steely Dan, to me, there's no emotion in that music at all. It is absolutely, it's like vacuum-sealed music devoid of any real feeling. I mean, there's just nothing there. And I don't mean to draw such extreme uh, contrast here, 
But at the opposite end of the spectrum it's is... It's the Ryan Seacrest of popular music. It's not even that it's the Ryan Seacrest of popular music. It's like the... I'm trying to think of a TV show that is... I'm trying to think of a TV show that exists basically to, to, to make people feel smug. Uh, a TV show that exists solely to be smart. Uh, and I can't really think of anything. Nothing really leaps to mind. Uh, you know, but it'd be like one of those like pretentious, one of those pretentious like PBS dramas that people pretend to watch just so they can. No, no, no. I, I love that. I like it a lot. Like Grey's Anatomy. Well, maybe. I don't know that Grey's Anatomy is the right example. Uh, but you know, like a, pret- a pretentious show. But you know, I believe that there's all kinds of art that exists only for people who want to feel smarter than everybody else. And it's things that they don't even necessarily really enjoy. It's just a thing that they can name check. And now we're kind of getting away from prog rock because I think prog rock is a thing that people really listen to. It's not like the Velvet Underground, which is a thing you just own. Look at this. Look at my Shags records, you know, which are things that like the Shags records. That's something you can point at just so you can impress your other hipster friends. No, no, no. Look at this. I've got the, I've got all the original New York Dolls records. Do you ever listen to them? No, no. But aren't they great to point at? That's the thing with that. Prog rock people really listen to, but it is, it is in my experience, almost solely listened to by people who just are uncomfortable with music that conveys real emotion. And so they listen to prog rock, which is really sort of safe and unthreatening because there's no emotional investment to the music at all. It is instead just an exercise in technique. And just and I just can't I can't get into that and it makes the fact that it takes up space on the planet just makes me angry. Uh, in fact, speaking of almost famous, he's act for potheads. It's and uh, that and and for guys uh, that for guys that that, that 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 like sit around like you know drawing you know like decahedrons or something. Uh, there's that sequence in the opening of Almost Famous where William Miller is outside the radio station where Alice Wisdom is there the DJ and she's talking to Lester Bangs. And she said, it's quite an honor to be here with the world's greatest living rock critic, Lester Bangs. And Philip Seymour Hoffman is sort of stomping around the radio studio as Lester Bangs. And he's going through the record collection. And he says, there's a couple things. When he posts, he goes, yes, no. And he throws it on the floor, which is where I stole that joke from. And when he's talking about... Well, doesn't that redeem Cameron Crowe right there? It then? does, because at least he acknowledges that not everybody shares his opinion. But uh, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher it here, so please forgive me. Maybe I'll play it tomorrow. But there's that when, he, when he's talking about... Guess who? Live American woman. Have you the most brilliant, drunken, gobbledygook ever recorded? Do you know the genius? I mean... And then he pulls out, I think, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. I think it's the record he pulls out. Goes, he goes, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. I mean... This is fatuous rock star dribble posing as poetry. Jim Morrison, he's a drunken buffoon. Uh, let's see, blah, 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 posing as a poet. And then he says, guess who had the courage to be drunken buffoons, which makes them poetic. And, I mean, that's, that's kind of my whole thing with prog rock. So, anyway, no one will miss Yes Not Going on Tour. Except for people who were just, you know, the, the people who can the, the, the occupy their time going to see John Anderson. The, no, not John Anderson. No, I'm, no, I'm talking about the swinging guy. That guy from Anderson, Wakeman, Butman, and Moe or whatever yeah, I that never band thought is. that I, I wouldn't like prog rock, but I'm looking at, I'm reading the definition and seeing the oh. sample bands, and I don't think I do either. And I dispute that Pink Floyd is progressive rock. Uh, I really do. Pink Floyd is almost its own genre. Pink Floyd is, is almost its own type of music in many ways. Uh, so, but you know, but you know what? I'll tell you this. I will tell you this. Speaking of Pink Floyd, and you know, if you're listening to me and you're one of these people, you know that I'm talking about you and that it's true. People who are really into progressive rock, by which I mean Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, by which I mean yes, you know what those people all love? They all love pre, 
Dark Side of the Moon, Pink Floyd. All of them. I mean, Dark Side of the Moon, I wish you were here. I mean, that's okay, like, if you're really mainstream. It's like, you know, it's music for the masses, I suppose. But, uh, you know, Piper, The Gates of Dawn, that's really when Floyd had it. They, uh, they went downhill starting with Dark Side of the Moon, if you ask me. I mean, all that uh, sauce are full of secrets. That's really the definitive Floyd. People who sit around and try to brag to you that they've got a box set of Sid Barrett records, which no one enjoys listening to. Jesus. That All that being said, my very first rock star interview, so-called, was Alan White from Yes. That's the first guy, first rock star I ever interviewed. Because I was the only one in the building on KCMT Portland. I was the only one in the building. They're like, hey, uh... Some guy from Yes is on the phone. I guess they're... Who wants to interview him? And I was I was the only one around. So I was, oh, I'll do it. So there's the tape somewhere of me interviewing the uh, Alan White from Yes and pretending that I liked his band. So that'll be funny to play. Um, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, so did you ever find out who was headlining Hatebreed or Typo Negative? Uh, according to uh, some folks from upstairs, Hatebreed is the headliner. So it would yeah. go so-and-so, Three Inches of Blood, Typo Negative, Hatebreed. Yeah, yeah, Hatebreed's headlining. All right. You ever heard of Opeth? Uh, yeah, I have a friend of mine who's really into Opeth, but I've never really listened to him. You never really listen. You no. should check those guys out. It's kind of more of a progressive metal, but <laughs> those guys are extremely musically talented. Of course. And uh, Pink Floyd is awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, the progressive metal is sort of is interesting. I mean, and I know that we do open this show with the song from Dream Theater, who are in many They're ways the sort of... with Dream Theater right now. Of course they are. The definitive, the definitive uh, prog metal <laughs> band. Prog metal, I mean, I will sort of... It's sort of a maxim of, of my music taste that I will kind of forgive anything if it's sort of loud enough like if it this sounds daft but if it kind of rocks enough i'll sort of forgive anything so dream theater has moments where it is kind of so heavy and loud that i can sort of get past the progressive element of it but check out opeth those guys are freaking awesome and your buddy that likes them will tell you the same thing if you don't like it then your soul is half burned but you should still check it out (laughs) i'm gonna form a band called half burned soul thank you we all get together and listen to halloween records here's tim riley or Katrina and the Waves. Let's do that. Mm-hmm. Let's never do that. Well, it's time for everyone to take a vacation. The slowdown of the U.S. economy is threatening a necessary task for American workers, and that is vacations. 51% of the people in the survey say they plan to skip taking a vacation this year, opting to save money instead. And now, is this because they're claiming it's because of gas prices? Apparently so. See, but that's a lie. Don't you think that's a lie? Yeah, but we're going to read it anyway. Okay. Uh, it says here, uh, why don't you do some other things? Take a different type of vacation. Try house swapping. That sounds like something Richie would do. That sounds sexy, Tim. You can swap with someone you know in another city or use an online service such as Home Exchange or even VRBro.com. That's vacation rentals by owner. You can have a look and feel of a vacation at a much more affordable price. Uh, keep the itinerary simple. They recommend selecting a destination within 200 miles, a three-hour drive from your home. If you're traveling by plane, fly nonstop whenever possible. The sooner you get to your destination, the sooner the relaxation begins. So uh, take a vacation anyway. Yeah, it's good for you. <laughs> okay, done and done. Well, I'm, you know, what, despite what the, the majority of Americans have been doing, I'm gone next Thursday and Friday. So that's uh, too late for me to turn back, Tim. I will say the plane prices, the ticket prices are a little higher than they were last year, but I mean, as we've said before, I think that this idea that somehow you were going to take the whole, you know, all your kid drive to Disneyland and you're not going to do it now strikes me as a little, uh, seems a little um, implausible because... You have to pay extra money to have room for both legs? No, no, but you know what? They try, I won't say the airline, but they did that thing. They tried jacking my wife uh, for the the extra cash because she brought, well, they didn't try, they did because she brought on like a a bag, like one bag more than than they uh, they were going to allow her to have. 
So, you know, so that, that part of it is actually happening. All right. Um, I'm looking at the... God, how, why do I just know these are all going to be progressive rock calls? Just looking at them. Every one of these. Maybe I shouldn't have brought that. You started it. Right? I know. I know. No, it's true. Okay. Let me just... Oh, uh, I guess they have to be addressed, don't they? Do they? Yes. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. I say taking my life in my hands. How can I help you? Well, this will be an easy one. Um, I just wanted to call and say... I, I swear to God, I thought you were going to hang up there for a second. <laughs> I thought it was going to be... This is going to be an easy one. Click. <laughs> no, I just wanted to say that um, you're the pers- first person to make me feel like I'm... that I shouldn't feel guilty for not liking Yes. Because I've always hated them, and I thought I was supposed to like them, and now I... I feel better about the whole thing. See, that's the thing is there are I would say this. I mean, progressive rock is one of the few kinds of music that people will, you know, but let's be honest, it's the same with jazz or here's another thing, even more so than jazz, which I've sort of in my advanced years kind of gotten into in in some small way. It's like that with classical and opera. I'm not saying there's something wrong with classical and opera, but there is, but there are people that will try to make you feel dumb for not liking it. No, no, no. I mean, I know you've got your, uh, I know you've got your, uh, uh, you know, your Kelly Clarkson records, but really, you should listen to La Bohème. No, thank you, thank you. No, people who will try to make you feel dumb for not liking something. The same people that go on tiresomely. God, I, I've, I know I've told the story before, but the, the English teacher I knew and I just screaming fight one time about about Shakespeare, and I was just saying that like Shakespeare that it just seemed like we could move on from Shakespeare in 2008 and try to get kids to enjoy reading by giving them something that you know they, they might enjoy. And of course, but she was an English teacher and she had like a degree in classical English literature and there was just no way to win. And I said, you know what, why don't you start with something that they might, you know, read for fun? You know, if the whole worry is the kids don't read. It's like, well, the Shakespeare is the building block upon which all, which it doesn't change the fact that it's just not enjoyable for most people. And so never feel guilty about not liking something that's, you know, that's like that, sir. Well, and it occurs to me that rock, the difference between rock and prod rock is like, the difference between Tim Riley and the Newsbot. <laughs> Seriously. Well no done. Soul. I wouldn't know. I don't listen to the Newsbot. Thank you. Thank you. Bye now. All right. Here's Tim Riley, ladies and gentlemen. I take it it still works here. Tim Riley. <laughs> Tim Riley, whose heart beats true and proud. <laughs> so I have some secret information here. When you want to find out what's really going on in your government here in these United States, you have to read the foreign press. This comes to us from The Independent, which is a newspaper in Britain. It says here, Bush wants 50 military bases, control of Iraqi airspace, and legal immunity for all American soldiers and contractors. And they claim this is a secret deal being negotiated in Baghdad, which would put the American military occupation in Iraq indefinitely, regardless of the outcome of the U.S. presidential election. I think that's going to happen anyway. Uh, Under the terms of the new treaty, the Americans will retain the long-term use of more than 50 bases in Iraq. American negotiators are also determining uh, that they must have immunity under Iraqi laws for U.S. troops and contractors. I'd like to get that deal. I'd like to just be granted blanket immunity for anything I want to do. And a free hand to make uh, to make arrests and conduct military activities in Iraq without consulting the Baghdad government. The precise nature of the American uh, demands has been kept secret until now, but these are leaks leaked to a British newspaper. Uh, Washington also wants control of Iraqi airspace below uh, 29,000 feet and the right to pursue its war on terror in Iraq giving it the authority to arrest anyone it wants. 
And launch military campaigns without consultation. Haven't we sort of been doing that, though? I think so. I mean, haven't we just sort of been doing whatever we wanted over there for like yeah. three or four years? Mm -hmm. Ever since we started, you know, bombing them? It's not like it's a regular country. I mean, once you start bombing a nation without their sort of invitation that you do so, don't you, haven't you kind of just established that you're going to do whatever you want? Yeah, it's a big junkyard. I mean, really, it, it seems if we're willing to drop explosives in the middle of their country, blowing everything up, it doesn't seem like we'd have, like we'd have to go get permission to start doing, you know, arrests or whatever. All right. Uh, then we have the top chief of staff, General Michael Mosley, resigning today after a series of concerns about recent controversies. Air Force Secretary Michael Wynn may also be on the brink of resigning. Uh, this is for selling those uh, nuclear uh, uh, missiles to Taiwan. A controversial award for the contract for the elite Thunderbirds flying group has also provoked scrutiny. A source who was informed about the matter says, quote, uh, there has been a lack of uh, accountability that raised concern. So apparently, we sold these uh, missiles to Taiwan, and we're not supposed to because it'll annoy the Chinese. We'll put more lead in our toys. Doesn't, every, doesn't everything we do annoy the Chinese anyway, though? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, the, really, the Chinese just, the, the takeover the world switch seems to have flipped to on uh, in that country, it doesn't really seem like there's much that's going to stop it. Hey, here's a guy who sent me a long, long thing about prog rock and blah, 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 blah. It's worth it for this one line. Rick, you put the ouch in douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. That sounds I'm totally going to steal that line. That's Isn't a, that great? That's a great mission statement. Yeah, putting the ouch in douchebag. I should get a liner made that says that. Right. Oh, yes, yes. And All right, that's, uh, hold on, ouch in douchebag. Ouch. All right, douchebag. All right. Uh, he, anyway, he says, uh, blah, 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 blah. Aren't you a bloody Rush fan? What the F? Um, yeah, Rush is sort of, uh, Rush, not unlike Zeppelin. I, I think I gave a dissertation on this at one point. Rush is that band, like Zeppelin, that absolutely perfectly straddles the line between regular rock and sort of, pro like, Rush has those moments that are really great and sort of accessible, and then they have, like, some song, you know, they have, like, that Trees song or whatever, which is in 14 different parts and takes up the whole side of an album. There's just no point for that. Here's Tim Riley. Well, let's have some good eating now with a cannibal watch, a double. Fantastic. Here's your cannibal watch. It's Thursday on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Uh, this comes to us from Joy Online. A man who butchered his brother to death and ate his forelimbs in Giglia in the northern region will be charged next week with murder. Ate his forelimbs or his forelimbs? It says forelimbs. F-O-R-E, limbs. Is that just your arms? I guess so. Some foreign talk. Osman Amudo <laughs> killed his brother, cut his arms for super. What? You know, they're trying to translate English here. I believe that should be super. Happy Smile Time, Eat Your Arm Show. Mm-hmm. And bury the remaining parts of the body together with a weapon he used for the dastardly act. Okay, they're trying to speak English here. They're not doing very well. So he, so he killed his brother. For super. I super kill you. <laughs> um, cut off his arms and made soup out of them. Ooh. Supper, apparently. Supper, not soup. I thought you meant like to make to be a soup product. No. Oh, made supper from the arms, buried the the rest of the guy in the in the weapon. So, oh, this is from Ghana, All and right. it comes to us from the website. My joy online. I'm going to cut off your arms. Uh, let's see here. The incident was sparked by a confrontation between the two on the family <laughs> farm over missing seeds. <laughs> Armada told Have you taken my seed? 
Armando told police he killed the brother because he was disturbing him. <laughs> well, that's a good reason. Uh, the sinister murderer explained he ate the body parts to prevent the spirit of the deceased from haunting him. I wonder if it worked. Well, I mean, I that seems it seems like a fair, but look, uh, I'm really having kind of a bad day and a little bit of a sugar crash, and so if uh, you don't leave me alone, I'm going to have to kill you and cut off your arms and make him to dinner, so I don't want to do that. If you the Northern Regional Police Public Affairs Director, Inspector Albert, told Joy News... That the accused sounded mentally Inspector stable. Inspector Albert? Was yes. Uncle Halsey there, too? He doesn't say. He said Amada did not show any remorse for the crime. According to him, investigations by police indicated the accused had a history of violent behavior. Mm. Uh, the villagers are in a state of shock uh, over Amado's uh, intemperate behavior. Uh, speaking on the issue, a psychiatrist with the Department of Psychiatry for the University of Ghana, Dr. Sammy Oheen, says such things do occur... But uh, such a horrid story of human barbarity rarely occurred. He said such acts were perpetrated by people who were deluded and had a false belief that they were being prosecuted. I do admire, by the way, your tenacity in struggling all the way through this poorly written story, Tim. Well, this is from myjoyonline.com. Of course it is. <laughs> he said eating the body parts with a belief that it would prevent the spirit from the victim from hunting the accused could be a function of the belief system of the people. This is a story by Malik Abbas Babubu. Oh. <laughs> That's only part one. <laughs> okay. Part two. Is this in another form? Uh, now, page two. This is from Happy 98.9 FM. <laughs> <laughs> so we went from my joy online to Happy 98.9 for the Cannibal Watch. The Cannibal Watch is coming from Happy 98.9. Uh, where is that? Well, it says here. This is from Bangprugu Yunyu, where there's an uneasy calm. A man eats his brother. <laughs> this is this the same brother eating? I don't know. <laughs> uh, this is written by Anugo Kanugu. A biblical Cain and Abel story has been reunited in the northern region where a man killed his brother and ate parts of his flesh. The gory murder occurred in the village of Gulabla near a whale <laughs> in the Mukushu area. The suspected murderer. This is the same story. Okay, happy 98.9. I'm They're stealing stories from my joy online. Are you sure? There, there is plagiarism being perpetrated by happy 98.9. <laughs> after stealing stories from myjoyonline.com. Are you sure it's the same story? It is the same. And they even have a story, uh, a picture of the man standing over what appears to be a dead body. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I have to see that. Is that a dead body? <laughs> that really is. It looks like a bloated dead body. <laughs> Well, luckily, luckily that we have Happy 98.9 giving us pictures of this. Now, this is this seems different, though. Okay, let's go. I think they dug just a little bit deeper. So to speak. So Happy 98.9 is like the 60 minutes of MyJoyOnline.com. The search party became suspicious of a pile of rocks and leaves, uh, whereupon they saw with whatever was underneath it. They saw the mutilated remains of the man that they were searching for. Uh, while they returned the rocks and leaves on the body and returned to break the news to the villagers. Uh, at the time of his arrest, the suspect had in his pocket the cooked arm of his brother. That's one big pocket. As well as a severed penis and testicles. <laughs> in one pocket? Yeah, maybe maybe those are the baggy jeans. I was just going to say, is that more like a cloak or something that he had on? I think so. Okay. Made the loose fit type jeans. Some 300 or so meters away from the scene... He showed his captors a location where he buried two hoes. <laughs> what? <laughs> a location where he buried two hoes, one of whom he used to kill his brother. Oh, I, oh, guess. <laughs> I see. Hoes is in the tool. 
These are not she holes. She holes. But, 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 but hoses tools. <laughs> We would like to thank Happy 98.9 <laughs> for investigating this. this she-hoes. Listen up, she-ho. All right, there's your double cannibal. <laughs> Happy 98.9. In my joy online. <laughs> I'm pleased to bring this double cannibal watch. <laughs> He's married two hoes. <laughs> wow. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from Los Angeles. CNN Radio correspondent James Roop. Hello, sir. Howdy. Hi, how are you? What's going on? You don't even want to know. All right. You really? I, you, whether or not that's a rhetorical question, I'm just going to pass on it. You don't even want to know the answer to that, my friend. Okay. Uh, how's life in Los Angeles? How's Ed McMahon doing? You know, I meant to ask you this yesterday because I know Lyke is doing a whole thing about it. How is it that Ed McMahon... Is like 83, 84 years of age, and and is like still having, and is not able to pay the rent. I meant to ask you that yesterday, and then Tom did a whole thing about it. Has he explained how that came to be? No, I mean that's a that's a really great question. I, I think you know, I think he's on like his tenth wife or something, <laughs> and she's pretty young, and I think she wanted this house, you know, and and he just locked himself into a mortgage that uh, that got pretty funky, yeah. and uh, you know, I, he's always been sort of a Self philanthropic type of a guy, you know, gives a lot to himself. Right, right. So, well, uh, I, I think maybe he doesn't have a whole lot of a whole lot of liquid cash. He has a lot of. Uh, yeah, there's a lib joke, a liquid joke there, but I don't know where it is. There's something. <laughs> um, well, all right. In any event, well, it it would. I mean, it, it'll be strange to see sort of how that plays out. I mean, where does Ed, the idea of Ed McMahon well, having what, to like? We, what we were told yesterday, he he's in negotiations with a lender. Yeah, so I, I think hope it's so. going to be all right. I mean, really, what kind of a credit risk is Ed McMahon at this point, though? I mean, a he's got a broken neck. B he's like a hundred years old. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't really seem like he should be you know like I'd be giving him a, like a long term loan or anything well, at this it point. Won't be, he's eighty three. It won't be long term. <laughs> One way or the other, you know, the bank's going. Hey, what the hell? I'll have, I'll have the mansion in about two years. There will be a recoupment of one kind or another. Yes, exactly. Oh, good Lord Almighty. All right. Um, well, in any event, and then there's also this. So so what is this this thing that they're doing? Because these things always start in Los Angeles, and then they sort of inexorably creep their way up here. What is this thing that they're doing with, like, on? it's like an online pharmacy drug prescription thing that you guys are rolling out down there? Uh, well, <laughs> There's there the abuse of prescription drugs is rampant as we know. You've heard the the oxycotton stories yes, and the Vicodin stories and the Flexerol stories from celebrities on down. And in California, it's exponentially worse just about everywhere else because every around every corner there's a Doctor Feelgood if you right. know what I mean. Oh, yeah. They'll write you a prescription for a song, and people are getting these prescriptions, lots of them, and they're filling them at multiple pharmacies. And they're either dealing these narcotics or they're t- abusing them themselves. Well, let me just say this: I uh, I know somebody, uh, and it's it's not anybody here, uh, but I was talking to somebody not too long ago, and it was somebody who had I, I forget exactly, but they'd had some minor surgery or did something or other, and whoever the doctor had given them 
and I think it was I think it was OxyContin, uh, which is the sort of ta- the the long the long lasting time release kind. And I mean, then they used I don't know they used it for a couple of days until they got over it. And then and I said I said well you know where does the rest of it? I mean you can get like a hundred of them. What's the rest of that? And and the guy was like I don't know. I figure I could probably pay my rent for two months with this. Yeah. I mean, and it's doctors just. I mean, I'm not complaining about it. It's just doctors it does seem like they sort of give you kind of more than you need, and then they're surprised when a guy figures out that he can sell that you know sell that for like eight bucks a pill or something. And then a lot of people they'll go into pharmacies after hours so that a, ph- a pharmacist can't check a physician, right? Uh, or, or they'll pay cash. And these are little red flags. And right now, if if a pharmacist or a doctor wants patient prescription drug history, it takes days because it's done via fax. So what uh, our wonderful Attorney General Jerry Brown has done is uh, gotten Kaiser Permanente and a couple other folks together to privately fund this because he says, I'm not going to go try and bother with Sacramento. They were there, he said, they're messed up up there. So he's got some private funding to, to help uh, develop this online system. And I think a couple of states have similar systems. I think Ohio, Kentucky, maybe one other one, where uh, it, it's like you, know, you Google somebody's name almost, instant, instant access to... Uh, prescription drug information from uh, any patient. If you've ever had a, a prescription filled in the state of California, your information's in that database. And, uh, you know, it's it's the thing about the prescription drug abuse is actually so... It's weird that there's only two kinds of people. There's the people who have no problem, just, as you said, hitting like three, four different pharmacies in their hand, like, can I get you to fill this volume up? And then there's me where uh, I had had some, um, some uh, Vicodin prescribed to me at one point, and then I'd taken them, and I was sort of out, and then I did this thing where I like, twisted my ankle or something. I just really messed my ankle up a few weeks ago, and I was just so leery about going to the doctor. I, mean, I have insurance. I have, you know, I had like a legitimate ailment. I'm so leery about going to the doctor for fear that there is going to be a note put on my uh, file somewhere that appears to be a junkie. Appear, appears to, as my wife would say, appears to be drug seeking. I guess is the the, the, the medical term for that. So. It just seems like there needs but, to be some. Uh, here's the you thing: know. Uh, not every pharmacist. If you go to the same pharmacy all the time, and you know you're using your insurance, there's no red flag there. But uh, you know if you're uh, if you're coming into a pharmacy after hours wanting to pay cash, you know, and and the people people who are in pain and really need medication, and people who are trying to fake that they need medication, junkies, they ha- they act the same way. So it's hard to tell just by action. You know who's who really needs it and who doesn't. Right. Um, so that's what this database is for. I mean, if you if you go to a regular pharmacy or even two pharmacies, and you know you're kind of in the database uh, with with them, and you have your your uh, insurance, there's not never going to be a problem. But it's just uh, those who you know. I mean, you, you get a hinky vibe from lots of different people, and you could just oh, oh dude, I mean the last the last time I was there, uh, the like I take this uh, this this sleeping medication. The last time I was at the pharmacy, I'm sitting there, and it's you know you take the number or whatever, and you're like number one fifty two, and serving five, you know, and you're sitting there for two hours waiting to go up and pick up your. And then you want to talk about a group of people that move slowly. I don't mean to knock my insurance company. You think the DMV is inefficient? Jeez, at the pharmacy, you're just sitting there. It's like you can you know watching glaciers form and diminish out side while you're waiting for the person to go back there and find a bottle with your name on it and bring it to the counter and there's all kinds of people coming in there that you just as you said they just seem a little sketchy you know what i mean the guy who's sitting there just scratching himself uncontrollably and twitching and constantly looking around you know and there's always there's always the one guy with his arm in that blood pressure testing machine that goes <laughs> i'm i'm next in line there 
there's always that guy. Exactly. Terrified that somebody will somehow take cuts in front of him. I'm just checking my blood pressure. I'm next in line there. No, no, no. I was here. I was here. Yeah. And then there's the lady who has to have the drugs explained to her by a pharmacist. Yes. And you think... When the doctor prescribed this crap to you, didn't you ask him what it's for? And, <laughs> and also that it's, it always says on the bottle in big letters, yeah. like, do not take while driving. Take Should with I, food. Oh, do I have to eat when I take this? Do not take by the fistful. I mean, it does seem like at a little bit, at some point there is like some sort of self-regulating Darwinism that ought to kick in, you know? If you oh, I'm sorry, but ma'am, you had to ask that question. If, you don't get these if you to, Or just, you know what, if you can't read the thing on the label that says don't take with, I mean, this is the one I love, where the, where the guy says, all right, I'm going to give you these, um, I'm going to give you this Valium. This is a very heavy-duty sedative. Um, now, you want to make sure that you don't take this with a bottle of wine. Again, um, do not Take with a bottle, and they have to put it. Think of it. Do not take. If you have to be told not to go mixing all of your pills with a big bottle of scotch, really, you know what? We ought to just let you do whatever you want to do with those pills, and it all work itself out. <laughs> and I mean, I mean, it's, maybe maybe we don't have another generation of dumb people around. So uh, you know, I, I I honestly, and I tried to pose this question a few times yesterday, and I was ignored. Um, both by the attorney general and by the pharmacists and doctors who were there on the dais. Why do I have to? All my information has to be exposed on a web-based database. Right. Why can't you guys just go after doctors? If you see a doctor's name on prescriptions floating around the city at different pharmacies, well then go after the doctor. So it don't would go seem... after the guy f- filling a prescription because then I'm in that mix. Right. Right. Well, that know, was... I, it seems to me it'd be a lot easier for them to match multiple names of doctors on on script that they find around the city than trying to chase some druggie around who's passing these juniors off. Well, that was my, I mean, it's, and I had to go to the, uh, I had to get my registration renewed yesterday, and I had to get my emissions tested in my car and everything, and that was the, um, you know, like you have to have, when you get pulled over by the cop, and the cop says, license and registration, please. The thing about registration has always bugged me. I mean, you know, why can't, the government has every single fact that's ever been written about me in a file somewhere, and that's all in a database. My whole thing is, don't you know whether my car is registered or not? I mean, doesn't the cop know? And you know that they do. Oh, know? yeah. They've already punched your name up on their little computer. Yeah. I mean, they don't, your they, car, your vehicle. Uh... The, the idea that somehow they've got it in a database, but they're not really going to be convinced until an easily forged piece of paper in my glove box says the car belongs to me. It strikes me as a little odd. Um, as we get ready to, uh, to, to wrap this up, Tim pointed out, is that true? Is that this week, Tim? Today. Uh, today is the 40, 40th, really, the 40th anniversary yeah. of the RFK assassination. Yeah, that, the site of the Ambassador Hotel is now a school under, constru- under construction. <sighs> 40 years ago. Um, and, of course, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't around uh, at that point, so I, you know, I obviously don't remember it. But, I mean, I, I didn't even realize that. For whatever reason, I guess maybe because this is such a, the heat of the primary season, there's, the news cycle is so much with Hillary and Obama right now. Uh, I hadn't really thought about that. but boy, I, what was, a, I was pretty young, but I remember all of the... Hubbub around it. Well, because that was that was the that was the bad year, right? Because '67 was sort of the summer of love, and then '68 was just '68 was nothing but bad. Yeah, I think it was uh, just what was it? Two months earlier was when Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. So there was MLK, there was RFK, and then there was that was the same year that uh, there was that whole ruckus at the Democratic National Convention. Yeah, that was you know when the the yippies were there in Chicago and got their heads cracked by Mayor Daley and so forth. That was a crazy a weird world we live in. All right, my friend, I love you, it. Are you on tomorrow? Yeah. 
All right, my brother, we will talk to you then. Until uh, until we speak again, enjoy the rest of your day, sir. Thank you. There you go. Jim Rope, ladies and gentlemen. Here's Tim Riley. Well, listen to this. Turns out Keith Oberman, who spotlights, mis- uh, spotlights misbehavior nightly with his worst person in the world, owes New York State an unpaid business tax. No. Apparently, the host of Countdown owes New York $2,269.50, according to a tax warrant obtained by the AP. He owes them how much? $2,269.50. Well, all right. Apparently, there's a bookkeeping disagreement between uh, Oberman's account and the state. It should have been resolved months ago. The debt could be resolved uh, recently, uh, but he didn't do it. Tax debt was uh, featured on ObermanWatch.com, which refers to Oberman as a deadbeat. Okay. So, uh, let's do these two calls quickly, and then we'll take a break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Is this me? Yes, it is, sir. Hello. Oh, hail the beautiful Sarah. Hey, um, about seven or 800 talking points uh, earlier this week. Yes. Uh, something that I don't even remember what it was uh, brought me to the question of whatever happened to AM stereo. Whatever happened they, to AM stereo? Remember, they were trying to push that for about a week and a half, and then it just kind of disappeared and... Nothing AM, ever happened. AM Stereo was the HD radio of an earlier era, I think. But really stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what killed it, or was it just due to lack of interest? Well, because the thing about high fidelity out of AM anyway. Well, the thing about AM Stereo was people had already left to listen to music elsewhere. Yeah. That was the FM band. You can't bring something back that's already gone. That was and Tim has really nailed it. That was the thing okay. about AM Stereo. AM Stereo was an aborted and ill-conceived. An even more poorly executed attempt to get people who had already, as Tim said, left for FM radio. Who weren't coming back. Uh, to come back to AM radio, and it just wasn't going to happen. Not least of which because you had, even if you were broadcasting an AM stereo, which I think, isn't the old KOTK broadcast an AM stereo? Yeah. Uh, even if you were broadcasting an AM stereo, not unlike HD television or HD radio, it didn't work unless you went out and bought a, a radio that could receive AM stereo, and almost right. no, no almost no one had one of those. You could have perfected the technology, but the problem is, once people leave, they do not come back. That's, They've gone on to other things. That's really the thing. So AM stereo was a... Uh, yeah. All right, thank you. Thank you. AM stereo was like a thing they tried to get uh, on uh, records as the cassette was coming into vogue. Thing called Q sound, and Q sound was this thing that they the stereo like a processing, a sound production method they used on vinyl records that supposedly gave you like fantastic surround sound or whatever. It didn't matter. People were already leaving for cassettes and CDs. And it took many years to realize something very basic that talk radio would make AM radio very successful. Yep, and it has been ever since. Yeah, it's it, it was entirely true. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hey Rick, how's it going? What's up? Oh, it would make my day if you could tell me that you have not heard of Game Facts. Of, of what? Game facts. Uh, as in F A C T S or F F A X? F A Q S. F A Q S. Oh, uh, I have not. Oh, okay. There you go. No more ten-year-olds on the internet uh, for game uh, uh, video game related. Oh, in uh, terms of asking video game questions, <laughs> that was an awkward statement. Rick, no more ten-year-olds on the internet. I'm telling you for the last time. Uh, so this is a what? This is like a Lego oh. Indiana Jones. Yeah. It's like walkthroughs or whatever. Oh yeah, people. They they. Uh, it's kind of like Wikipedia only for video games. All right, I'm looking now. Hold on, GameFacts.com. All right, I am blah 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 blah. They have all kinds of cheats. Oh, they have ways to cheat and to get into different rooms and everything. Let yeah. it be known that I'm not looking for ways to cheat, Sarah. I'm simply uh, looking for the occasional clue now and then as to sure. how to advance past a level. Oh, excellent. Here we go. Fantastic. Looking at it right, looking at it right here, Lego Indiana Jones. All right, thank you, my brother. Okay, and then one other thing. Yes, sir. 
about the HD um, uh, uh, radio. Yes. Is that it may come to pass that the government, like TV, will mandatory manda- make it a mandate to switch. Well, it's, I mean, it's, they actually are, well, yeah, as you said, with TV, they are making it a mandate. Because isn't it the end of this year? When is that, Tim? It's February the end of 2009. Next year. February 2009. So, well, we'll wait and see how, uh, we'll wait and see how HD radio unfolds, I, uh, I suppose. I'm sure there'll be lines right. around the I'm, block. Yes, I, uh, I'm a team player. Never let it be said that Rick Emerson doesn't support things that his industry has decided will, uh, will save them. So. All right, well, but Game Facts, though, it's great. I use it all the time because, I mean, some of those puzzles are just really confusing and you don't know what they're really saying. Yeah, exactly, and you sit there, and as I did with the Lego Star Wars, you sit there and you feel like, Mailman Chris was telling me he was playing Lego Indiana Jones. He spent 40 minutes on a single scene trying to figure out, like, how to drop an anvil on a guy or whatever, and it just, like, and finally... It, that would he, just be too frustrating That me. was See, but that was my thing when I played Lego Indiana Jones. It's a great game. Don't get me wrong. It's a staggering game. Graphics, gameplay... It's brilliant. It really is. It's like a like an like an eight and a half out of ten, but it just becomes very frustrating, and that's when I want to just put black back in and just start shooting things. So. Exactly. Right. Well, this this will helpful hopefully eliminate those frustrating moments. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Right, there you go. All right, let's take a break here. We'll come back. Uh, let's see. Around the corner, we got other things coming up, including the top five worst sounds on earth. Uh, later on, CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins. Uh, what else? High Concept Thursday and more. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. You know, good people turn their heads each day so satisfied I'm on my way. I've seen all good people turn their heads each day so satisfied I'm on my way. the thing about this song i think i'm a sucker for harmonies i see maybe i mean i could see that i mean they do have you know very very carefully put together like crosby stills and nash type harmonies but i think that's the thing ironically that makes me not like it is it's just so carefully put together i mean it is very carefully and painstakingly crafted and assembled as a song and i think and i know these are all subjective tastes but from me, anyway, I'm just saying for me, in terms of especially, uh, you know, uh, I think of all the different forms of pop music, I think rock benefits the most from being sort of fluid and having a little bit of spontaneity to it. And there's just nothing spontaneous about this. And I'm pretty sure I hear multiple flutes in the background there. <laughs> it's flute layering, Rick Emerson. I can count on zero fingers the number of good rock songs that have flutes. I mean, really, right now. We're going to do a top five songs featuring flutes. There are, how, would, how would you even come up with a top one? I mean, there's this. And don't say Stairway to Heaven, because it's not a flute, it's a recorder. All right, I'm going I'm to get on this. And see, there's like a, a weird reverse Pavlovian thing happening with this song, though, because as I watch Almost Famous... This is, of course, one of the songs that's playing backstage when William first gets in, and there's Penny Lane, and there's, uh, you know, Penny Lane talking to, to, to what's his name, Russell Hammond. 
and then they segue from this into River by Joni Mitchell. So, but see, so Cameron Crowe is forcing me almost against my will to like this song because he's giving me pleasant associations with it. Richie, I can't see the screen. Is this Dorothy Cossessary? I got a whole lot of nothing here. I'm looking at the screen. It's just one big empty. Just a big blank. What I have is zero information. All right, thank you. 503-733-2970. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from the National Enquirer, a good friend, Dorothy Cossessary. Hello, Dorothy. How are you today? Hi, Rick. I'm so relieved I could finally get in touch with you today. Was there? I, a... I called in the hotline, and, and I was on hold, and I was hearing some great rap music, and then Richie called me. We've had... Said, hey, where are you? And I said, oh, I'm actually on hold with you guys. He said, you are? Uh, we've had like a weird sort of ghost in the, in the machine for a little while here, so I apologize. What happens is sometimes when, when you call into this to the back line like this, occasionally it rings and Richie answers it. And then if he has stepped out, as I think he had at that moment, it is supposed to go on hold in Richie's room where he comes in and sees that the, you know, that you're there. Uh, and then occasionally, though, it seems to get kicked back upstairs to the main switchboard where it sits in this weird, like, on-hold backwater, and no one is really aware that the call is even on hold. So so, so, so there's a phone hanging in the lunchroom with, with a hold button blinking, right? Yeah, and that's, just... that's the only phone that I'm on hold at? <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah, it's like you're on hold in a secret red phone that's locked inside a small box in the basement of the building, and no one knows it's there. So, in any way, well, thank you for tolerating our technical foolishness today. No problem. Hey, by the way, I want to say so. If you go to nationalenquirer.com, uh, you are right there at the top. Your picture uh, grace, uh, graciously attires right here at the top of the page. It's you, and is this? So it's, it's this is you at um, this is the 2008 Gracie Awards, right? Right, exactly. If you if you click below it, it's the red carpet video. All right, we're, and we're doing actual celebrity interviews on the red carpet. And so here's the fantastic thing about it. This is the best sentence I've ever read. It says the Inquirer's Dorothy Carcassari interviews. Wait for it, Florence Henderson, uh, <laughs> on whom I still have just a fantastic crush left over from my childhood. So I have to ask, uh, because we're just big gossip mongers and I have no shame about these things. In person, Florence Henderson, how's she holding up? She is. Beautiful. Excellent. That's what I like to hear. See, even I don't even care if it's true. Even if you're lying to me right now, that's fine. I am not lying. But why do I lie to you? I'm just I'm saying, now. in my head, she's still beautiful, so I'm glad to know that that is actually the reality of the situation. She really is. Her her skin is absolutely gorgeous. She was so put together. She had this really pretty pant, white pantsuit on. But, Rick, click on the video. Take a look at it. It's only about three minutes, and it's a lot of fun. So and you this... can see you can see me in action, and you can see your, your other love, Florence Henderson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is right. Okay. It says click here. Okay, so uh, as soon as our segment is done here, we will uh, we will absolutely do that. Um, all right, so uh, this is so much to talk about. So the new issue of the Inquirer, which comes out tomorrow. First of all, I got two words for you. Those words are Clay and Aiken, uh, and then the other word is just sort of ick. So what? Please tell me, please tell me what you know about this Clay Aiken situation, just subject because it's all very confusing and puzzling. It, it is definitely very confusing. But basically, here's a guy who wants a kid. And he has a friend who wants a kid, too. So they got together and said, hey, why don't we have the kid together, but not in, in the, not together together, the way that, that most people have kids. <laughs> so he artificially inseminated his, his friend. And uh, the story that we have this week is actually something from the past where he tried to pay a friend of his a million dollars for her baby. Really? This is a completely separate, completely separate friend of his. Wait, he tried to pay her a million dollars to have a baby, or like she had one? He was like, "I'll buy that for a million dollars." She, our sources are telling us that she got pregnant accidentally, and uh, 
so, you know, he said, listen, I want the baby. And I'll pay you a million dollars. That is the creepiest thing I've ever heard in my life. Clay Aiken tried to buy my baby. <laughs> there are certain sentences that you sort of live your life and you don't ever think that you'll heard them, uh, hear them uttered aloud. And Clay Aiken tried to buy my baby is one of those phrases. The interesting thing about, about this whole Clay Aiken story is that you have all these young moms and all these young women in Hollywood getting pregnant. Christina Aguilera just had a baby. Nicole Richie just had a baby. Now Ashley Simpson is pregnant. But you really don't think to yourself, that maybe there are some guys that are interested in having babies as well. And I guess Clay Aiken is one of them. I suppose. i got to tell you, I don't know when the last time you really took a good long look at Clay Aiken was, but he, he's had some weird makeover done in the last six or eight months where he, he's kind of unnerving to look at now. He looks a whole lot like that, uh, what is it, Stephen Kajagoro or whatever, that guy from... Uh, oh, Stephen Kojakaro. Kojakaro. He, he and Clay Aiken, I think, are slowly morphing into the same person. I mean, I'm not entirely sure about that, but if I were you, I'd try to get the two of them in a room and give them a good, long look at the same time. Clay's looks have certainly changed. You're entirely right, Rick. Uh, but this is kind of the trend that we see in Hollywood. He went from, you know, just kind of being this average guy to, you know, being on American Idol and, you know, being a reality star. And now he's a part of Hollywood. And you know what a lot of people in Hollywood do? They like to change things about their looks. <laughs> uh, um, so we, uh, as soon as uh, we're sort of through this, and we get into our next segment. We'll uh, we'll watch your, your video here that's on NationalEnquirer.com. The new issue comes out tomorrow. I'm looking here where it says Florence Henderson, and then you also talked to Paul Newman, who's. I mean, I thought I thought Paul Newman had sort of retired from public life, but I guess I'm wrong about oh, that. Oh no, oh no, I'm sorry. We didn't we didn't speak to Paul Newman. We spoke to Florence Henderson about Paul. Well, ah, we oh, okay. Speak to her All about right. Paul Newman. Yeah, because and I'm looking at the front of the Enquirer, uh, the new issue which comes out, and in the lower uh, right hand corner. All I can see is the word cancer and then what looks to be Adam West from Batman, although I'm almost positive that's not him. No, it's actually Paul Newman. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Well, that's terrible. So, wait, just Paul, when did that, does he have cancer? Is that a thing that's confirmed? Well, uh, our sources are telling us that he's been diagnosed with lung cancer. This is a story that we've been following for quite some time now, several months, in fact. And, uh, our sources say that he's quietly breaking the news to close friends. You know, he hasn't come out and publicly, uh, you know, admit, admit to it yet. But, uh, but this story is definitely chock full of, uh, some interesting little tidbits about this. And, you know, it's very sad. It's certainly very sad. And I guess he's trying to stay private about it. That is unfortunate, you know, because as a guy in America, uh, you know, growing up, there's basically, there's basically a couple, a couple icons in the male world that you sort of just genuflect to every night, and uh, you know, and for guys, one of them is Paul Newman. So that is uh, that is regrettable. All right. Um, well, congratulations on you know, like being able to speak face to face with a woman on whom I've had a crush since I was about five years old. So well done, Dorothy. Um, uh, thanks. The, well, uh, keep, definitely keep uh, checking back on our website because we're going to be doing many more of these fun red carpet interviews for NationalEnquirer.com. Absolutely, we will indeed, and we will speak with you again next week. The new issue comes out tomorrow. Dorothy Carcassari for the National Enquirer. Thank you, Dorothy. All right, thanks a lot. Thank you. There you go. All right, it's five zero three seven three three two. 970-503-733-2970. Excellent. Wonderful. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Very well. All right. She looks good here. I'm looking at the... Well, she's a, of course she looks good. She's like a, a pretty girl. I, uh... 
What? That was, that was just a great, like, simple, basic statement. I know. She's I'm sorry, it's like, Dorothy looked good. pictures of her. It's like, what? It's not a shocker. Well, I'm not saying that. I'm not just saying she's attractive. I'm saying it's just a great shot of her on the National Enquirer website where she's talking to Gail King, who I Are think we is. Are going to watch it? Uh, I don't know. It's like three minutes long, so we should. I don't know. Maybe I'll. Uh, I might watch it later and sort of pull audio from it. I do want to watch it, though, because I, wouldn't it be cool to kind of. Because I, I think we. see her, yeah, her talking. We've all kind of taken a shine to Dorothy. Uh, so I'll watch this later and see what audio we can pull from it. Yeah, I think this is Gail King, who is Oprah's sort of gal pal uh, that she's speaking with here. All right. Well, that sucks about Paul Newman. You know, it's never people that you hate that get cancer. I can't remember the last person I hated who got cancer. It's always people you like. I like Patrick Swayze. Gets cancer. Love Paul Newman. Cancer. All right. What can you do? Harvey Corman, aneurysm. When is the last time an enemy of mine died from something? Ike Turner. Oh, that's true. No, no, no. God kicked his ass. No, you're right about that. No, God just... God gave him a good... God gave him a good beating of the life. Um... All right, well, in any event, ladies and gentlemen, the Ministry of Truth, your personal savior. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. The woman died after she intentionally ran into traffic. Happened only this morning in northeast Portland. The woman had just left the mental hospital and threatened to kill herself. She was serious. A staff member was trying to negotiate when she ran into the street. The 46-year-old woman was taken to Emanuel. She died. This happened at Gleason and 108th Avenue shortly after 3 a.m. Uh, meanwhile, thieves who stole an eight-foot statue of Jesus off a crucifixion in Detroit thought they were stealing copper to sell a scrap. Turned out, Jesus is made of plaster. Uh, the this isn't the real Jesus, by the way. This we're talking. This is a, only a statue of Jesus. This is Detroit's Jesus. <laughs> they wouldn't put a real this Jesus in Jesus, Detroit. Jesus is made out of plaster. The Detroit edition of Jesus is made out of plaster. Uh, the Reverend Randolph said uh, today that the statue was green and looks like copper, one of several medals uh, converted by thieves because of storing scrap. You know, that's right. a special place in hell if you're trying to steal Jesus to sell him for scrap. I mean, <laughs> what, buy crack. seriously, what, what kind of man are you? You're selling Jesus for a few bucks. Well, apparently they did damage uh, some real copper pipes and stole aluminum gutters from the church after the first few months. It's unclear whether the uh, statue was taken before that. The parishioner noticed it missing from its perch on the side of the... Who wouldn't notice it? <laughs> Jesus! There used to be something here. Uh, who hey, was here before? Was it uh, uh, Harvey Corman? Didn't, wasn't there something up on that cross? I don't know. I, I can't remember. It seems like something's they missing. They stole Jesus from the cross? They stole Jesus. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Don't you think there's a, that's a special one-way that's ticket to hell? Kind of that's an A-train to damnation right there. All right. So at this point, Jesus was made of plaster. So wait, did, so did, but did they return Jesus, or is he gone? Or Jesus is still missing. All right, it's just in Jesus is missing. All right, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Rick. Hey. What's up? What? Did did I hear Dorothy say that she was your other love? I don't believe so. No, I didn't hear that at all. I'm pretty sure that Dorothy would never say that. No, I heard her say something about that she was interviewing Florence Henderson, your other love. So she was insinuating that. You love her too. That's you saying that, sir. I'm not no. making that. A, I'm not making that assertion. Listen to the tape. Okay. How, how else can I help you, my friend? Yes. Well, um, would you be mad at me if I had to listen to your show on podcast? Are we breaking up? What's happening? No, no. Well, never at work, at my work, I can't hear your show because you get bad reception. Are you asking, since you can't hear the show live, if you have permission to listen to the podcast? All right. Well, I don't mean to... 
please don't take this the wrong way, but why do you think the podcast exists, sir? I mean, it exists for people who are not able to listen live, so of course not. Well, we... that sucks. I don't want to listen to it not live. Well, we, we understand that everybody would listen to the show live if they had the option. Yeah. Uh, there well, are people... at, my, at my job, there's so much equipment and machinery and electronics. That the signal just uh, the signal doesn't I penetrate. I can't get through, yeah. So this would be, you You would listen to it then later in the day. Right. All right. Well... well there's so, only so much I'd be equipment. I'd a day behind, obviously. Well, you know what it is? There are people who are just now, you know, within the last few months, have just recently started to be able to listen to the live stream, and uh, until then, they had to listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm. Listening to the podcast is nothing to be ashamed of, sir. We hold no ill yeah. will against you for that. Well, I've listened to you for so long, ten years. Well, here you. Here's in Portland. Well, let me just say, from all of us to you, sir, we won't take it personally, nor will we take any offense if you begin listening to the show on podcast out of necessity. All right. You have our blessing, my friend. Okay. All right. Thank. What's your name? Frank. All right, Frank. Do we? Does everybody? Does Frank have our blessing, everybody? Yes. All yeah, right. He doesn't even need a slip. No. Let me just play a little something to. There you go. You have our blessing. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Is that our blessing sound? I guess. Well, I it, mean, sounds, it, it, it sounded like he turned up all the equipment he possibly could to remain productive at work. He sounded sort of legitimately sort of torn up about it. Like he mm-hmm. was. He felt internally conflicted. Well, all right. Uh, hi. You're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hey, Rick, what's happening? What's up? Uh, Sarah mentioned the top five and the flute thing. Didn't uh, Jethro Tull use quite a bit of flute? Yes, they did. That's why they suck. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> they did suck. They yeah, did. I mean, they don't suck just because of that, but that's one of the many, many reasons why. Uh, yeah. I, I think you had to move forward with the top five. I mean, all I can think of is Jethro Tull. That's the thing. Like, I can't think of another, I can't think of another rock band that really used a flute. I mean, anybody? That'd be some heavy research. Hey, did, wait, they, they are the Shakespeare of rock. Who? Jethro Tull. Absolutely. Uh, boy, if I never have to hear Aqualung again, really, you come up with the worst rock song ever recorded, Aqualung. Can I just say... How do they brainwash people to listen to that? I don't know. I mean, and here's the other good thing. Good for you, good for you, this is good for you. <laughs> if I can... I mean, does KGON broadcast some sort of weird John Carpenter's They Live subliminal signal into their broadcast? You know, does they get some... You know, this is like every auto mechanic in the world thinks they need to be listening to Jethro Tull records. Uh, let me ask you this. Here's another question. And everybody can weigh in on this. So... Have you noticed this, that, let's say, let me ask you this, Tim. Who do you picture when I say the average classic rock listener? Classic rock listener? The typical classic rock listener. What kind of, who do you picture? Who's the guy in your mind's eye there? Mullet? Beer belly? Yeah. Maybe working on a car somewhere? Uh-huh. I mean, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, to belittle anybody or speak ill of anybody. I'm just saying, let's be honest. There are different, you know, different types of people listen to different types of rock. Yeah. When you see a, when you see a guy... Uh, you can you can spot like a KGON listener, can't you? Yeah. I mean, you can look at a guy and go, that guy listens to KGON. Mm-hmm. Um, and my thing is, in classic rock, and especially in the classic rock demographic, the classic rock guy, um, it, there's such a sort of element of machismo and sort of manliness, and it's sort of like guy music. But have you noticed how much classic rock leans on bands that, by all rights, that guy shouldn't like? I mean, that guy who sits there and waits for a Molly Hatchet record, what are you doing? Well, I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm waiting for them to play Flirting with Disaster, or or maybe Back in Black. I just called him my request. Hey, I mean, but he's called in his request to hear Highway Star by Deep Purple, and yet at the same time, they're playing, you know, like Knights in White Satin or something. I mean, the idea that progressive rock and sort of classic rock go hand in hand has always puzzled me. It is regressive. It doesn't, I mean, I don't understand who sits around and listens to the Thick as a Brick album by Aqua, uh, by Jethro Tull and says, no, this is really, really what I've been waiting for. This is the kind of hard rock that I've been desiring. Makes no sense. No. A friend of mine is uh, the KGON guy. Yeah, he's got the boots, the cowboy boots. Yeah. 
a bullet hanging from his belt loop on his 501. Of, sure, of course, sure. And Tim was right with the mullet. Yeah, absolutely. And yet, that was the guy. And yet, that guy is not only listening to, you know, he's not only listening to Boston and, uh, you know, and all of those bands, uh, you know, the, the, like the sort of ACDC, you know, Skinner type bands. But that guy is also out there waiting for Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, which makes no sense at all. The two things shouldn't coexist side by side in that guy's head, and yet they do. Right. No, I grew up with all that music. I got burned out on it years ago, so uh, I've kind of moved on. Yeah, that's you and me both, my friend. All right, thank all right. you. Have a good day. Bye now. All right. I mean, Aqualung, here's a little here's a little tip for me to you. It, no rock song should ever contain the word snot. It just shouldn't. If your song has the word snot in it, it's a bad song, and it shouldn't exist. shouldn't be released to the public anyway. They need a thesaurus. I suppose. Here's Tim Riley. Well, you're not going to believe this, but... Elaine Fultz is thrilled about the prize that she won at a baseball game in Grand Prairie, Texas. But she's hoping she doesn't have to collect it anytime soon. Miss Fultz uh, won a $10,000 paid funeral at last night's Grand Prairie Airhogs game. The prize will uh, expire uh, when she does. The sales manager of the Oak Grove Memorial Gardens partnered with the team and Irving's Chapel of Flowers to sponsor the event. I almost croaked many times, says Miss Fultz who's wearing a neck brace, the most recent effect of 20 surgeries she's undergone for various medical problems. Wait, so she won a what? A free funeral? Yeah. Well, at, okay, at, good at for a, her. Uh, Grand Prairie Air Dogs game, or Air Hogs. After. Uh, the fans of the Dallas suburb are equal, eager to join in the grim fun. Some fatalists for the prize arrived dressed in black and looking like death. The finalists participated in a pallbearer's race, a mummy wrap, and a eulogy delivery. This does seem like a kooky radio giveaway almost. It does, doesn't it? Uh, let's see here. Uh, Rick, please, for the love of God, can you spare us the top five flute list? Can we just put the Trogs Wild Thing at number one and leave it at that? Oh, that's right. The Wild Thing, wild thing by the Trogs has a flute solo, I think. Doesn't John Mellencamp use a flute? I think so. Like, if you listen to, um, is it Paper and Fire? Paper and Fire has a flute, I think. One of the songs does. I'm not sure which one. I think it might be Paper and Fire. Light my fire. Is there yes. a flute in there? No, no, no that's a, that's an organ. You know, da 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 da. No, but it's a breakdown in the middle. Nah, there's no there's no flute in the middle of Light My Fire. Or is there? <laughs> I think she's right. Now I really don't know. Let's listen to the whole thing. Uh, let's. Can we listen to all seven and a half minutes of it, please? <laughs> can we? We listen to him rhyme fire with pyre over and over again. That should be break now because we have Lisa at 205. Damn! Damn! Let's break. Listen to that. No flute in this song. No, sir. All right. Back after this with uh, Lisa Desjardins. We'll do the top five worst noises on earth. Tim Riley returns later on. You stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. the Rick Emerson radio program. You know what's really You were right. What? There's no flute. I knew there was no flute in this song. Flute, flutey sounding instrument. I think the Doors used a flute at some point. It just wasn't here. You know, the thing about this subject of flutes in, in rock songs is that it's one of those things, I'm not going to say people are angry about it, but it does bring out a really spirited response in the audience, like this one. What am I? Uh, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, this one just says, about the trogs. That's an ocarina, fool. 
All right. I don't even know what an ocarina is. I thought it was just a thing from Zelda. One of my favorite groups, Midlake, they use a lot of flutes in there. Really? Music. Like it's really flute? beautiful. Yeah, because they sound a little, um, quite a bit like America, like a mix of like American yeah. music. You know what's really bad? If you watch it now, the Doors movie. It's terrible. It's I just terrible. rewatched it a couple months ago. No good. It's no good at all. That was the only movie when I lived in London. Uh, we had a VCR and we didn't pick up any channels. So that was the one movie that we had. So I watched that movie like 30 times within six it's months. It's awful. And I mean, and I don't think I liked it that much when it came out. I think when it came out, I was already sort of anti it. I watched it and I sort of just disliked it. Like, he just comes off as kind of an ass. But you watch it now and you just, maybe it's because I'm old, but you watch it now and you're like, take a bath. Take a bath. Take, get a shave. Get a job. I mean, especially in that scene where it's like, where he's walking down the road with with, uh, with Meg Ryan, and they're both just stoned. He's like, been wearing the same pants for a month, and he keeps calling her Ma, you know? Ugh. Oh, Ma, I'm on acid. And he's just like, you know, the guy just couldn't die fast enough for me the last time I watched that movie. I mean, it's a terrible thing to say, but... All right, let's welcome to the Emerson Show from the Hill. CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins. Hello. Hi, guys. How are you today? I am well. How are you? When's the last time you saw The Doors by Oliver Stone? I have yet to see it. You can skip it at this point. I, apparently. It really only works as camp. Here's the thing about Oliver Stone. I really do love Oliver Stone as a director. He's made some great films. Yes. His films, though, his films date, a lot of them date uh -huh. pretty badly. Uh -huh. his, day, his films date, and they date fast, and they date bad. Here's another movie by Oliver Stone that doesn't hold up. Born on the Fourth of July. You, you watch Born on the Fourth of July now, and there's just a there's just a, a whole lot of nothing going on there. It's, it's a wholly uninteresting film for my money. I mean, he's made some things that I still quite like. I think JFK is still a good film. I was going to say, I think JFK is. I mean, it's you know, bring some food, but it's a law. It's it's a good movie. JFK is good. Um, I would say that Nixon, Nixon, which is to me, Nixon is like the definitive Oliver, Oliver Stone movie. Uh, I mean, Nixon is one of my favorite movies of all time. That's still really great. Some of the things that he wrote, uh, like he wrote Midnight Express, that still really holds up. I uh, didn't realize that. He wrote Midnight Express, um, which is just a terribly difficult movie to watch, but still is a quality film in its way. Um, <laughs> what doesn't hold up is Natural Born Killers, and what doesn't hold up is The Doors. You watch The Doors now, and it's just uh, Jim Morrison is just such a wholly off-putting and irritating person. Uh, I mean, you, you, you watch it, and it's like a bad parody of hippy trippy, mystical, <laughs> drugged-out '60s slack nonsense. I mean, I know I sound like an old guy, but I mean, come on. You know, he should have done. I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind Oliver Stone also doing an RFK. Not trying to stretch the tie-in too much, because I've been reading a lot, of course, about of course. RFK, this being the anniversary uh, that he was shot 40 years ago today. And, uh, and, and I did not realize how many uh, conspiracy theories there are regarding Robert F. Kennedy's assassination. I didn't know that was the case. Are there? There are. Uh, you know, the assassin, Sirhan Sirhan, uh -huh. if you want to pronounce it, some Sirhan Sirhan, some people say, uh, he is still in prison in California, as we speak. And he, uh, you know, he said, I guess, apparent, right going into the trial, uh, that his claim was that he was drunk and that he didn't remember shooting Robert Kennedy. But he also said, well, I guess I must have done it because he was. You know, there were a lot of people on the scene who saw him with the gun and say that they saw him shoot RFK. But there, there is another bullet factor where the fatal bullet supposedly came from behind. And, you know, at that point, RFK was walking toward 
Sirhan Sirhan, and but maybe he was turning. And there was there's a whole theory that there were other people involved, but it's been dismissed. Just like the JFK thing, but there there is a lot. There is some chatter on the on the web about it. Uh, those things. I mean, I'm not trying to make light of it, but those things always seem. I mean, there's like 50 people in the room. Would you think if there was another guy holding a gun, somebody would have seen him? Right. Clearly, this man fired off shots. I think what really adds to it is his uh, continually saying, well, like, I guess I must have done it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, which does seem sort of absurd in a weird kind right. of way. And he also, of course, had a diary that they found at home that said, you know, Robert F. Kennedy must die. And, you know, I, I feel more and more strongly the urge to kill him. Your conspiracy theorists would say, of course, that that was doctored. All of that. And, you know, certainly, uh, you know, we have people who can doctor documents, I'm sure, somewhere in the federal government. But, yeah, it, it does seem like this is even more of a stretch than the JFK you know, one. But. Here's my, my read on it. And I'm, I don't pretend to be some sort of an expert on the, the Lee Harvey Oswald thing or on, on RFK's assassination. It, my read on it is here is why I'm not saying that there haven't been conspiracies. I'm not saying that there haven't been. You know, obviously, uh, you know, obviously there was a group of senators who got together to 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 kill Caesar. I mean, we we all know that these things happen. Um, that being said, I think people sort of cling to these conspiracy theories sometimes because it is a lot more comforting, in a strange way, uh, to believe in a conspiracy. Because in a conspiracy, like if there's a, if there's a as um, as Hillary Clinton once said, if there is a vast conspiracy. Um, to sort of kill someone or have someone removed, I think in the human psyche, in a way, is comforting because you say to yourself, well, there was a vast, all-knowing, all-seeing, multi-person conspiracy. There was really nothing that we could do about it. Um, whereas the alternative, in the case of, let's say, the assassination of John Kennedy, right. the alternative is just to admit that one lone nutcase with a gun can change the entire world. And, and I think that's and just too... That, who, the, that describes your successful assassins as well. Yeah, these are these are not people who really, as far as we know, have a, a great deal of necessary like assassin training. You yeah. know, have been you know reared from college uh, to, to become an incredible marksman. I think it's just I think it is a little too unnerving for most people to realize the fragility. Uh, that under what is it that underpins a word like that? It's just the fragile nature yeah. of of the, of of the world and the sort of order of things, and that you know and and frankly I'm not going to say that it's luck, but that, 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 that just seemingly in the grand tapestry of human existence that just individual threads unraveling at the wrong moment have a disproportionately large effect. And I guess, and then just to, sorry, to extend this probably longer than it needs to go. Do you remember what the issue was? Uh, why the theory? Why Sirhan Sirhan killed Robert F. Kennedy? No. It, Israel. You know, and it seems like of all the issues, you know, RFK here was a big civil rights crusader. You know, he was pushing buttons in a lot of areas. He was fighting, for example, and this leads to some conspiracy theories. Organized crime. He was one of the first attorney general, right. attorney general to go after organized crime. But in the end, it was a, a Palestinian. He was raised as a Christian uh, who was just angry about the existence of Israel. And this was exactly one year, of course, after Israel had basically shown the Arab states the door and and kind of uh, you know ha had its way with them militarily. Uh, that this happened, so you, you just don't know what, <laughs> and you don't even know what issues are going to spark this kind of a thing. You know, and thinking about, it, I really, I wish there was a civil rights thing, but nope, Israel. And I mean, it just does seem to be one of those things that throughout history you have uh, leaders of whatever size and stripe who survive all kinds of tumultuous times, and at the end of their life they're done in by a tsetse fly or something. You know what I mean? 
So, yes. in any event, all right. Well, well, speaking of leadership and oh, I know, uh, people and talk about it. I, can't I don't even. I, I mean, I don't even know where to start. I mean, the, do you have the latest <laughs> Hillary Clinton word? Because there are emails flying I mean, all over the place from the Clinton camp. They they're very concerned that it looks like she is demanding or campaigning to be vice president. It doesn't look like as though she's demanding. It looks as though she's crazy. That's really what it looks like. I mean, you know I love Hillary Clinton, but come on. I mean, it does look as though I always heard the story, and you having lived in Russia, maybe you know if it's true or not. I always heard the story that that Stalin had been dead for several days before anybody knew because they were afraid to knock on his door. I've heard that story, too. I do not think it's true. So you just sort of wonder, like, has, like when I saw Hillary Clinton on stage the other night going, I will not be making any decision tonight. And Jeffrey Tubin on CNN he called it the deranged narcissism of the Clintons. I mean, he's like, what do you mean you're not going to be making the decision? You lost. I mean, <laughs> what is up with that, Lisa Desjardins? <laughs> it, it's, it's all about the end game. It's all about she felt maybe she had just one card to play behind the scenes. And, and she, she really, if she was going to do it, this was her only opportunity to say, listen, I can make this easy for you or i can make this kind of hard for you you know i can i can campaign in name which she's obviously going to do under any circumstance she's going to endorse obama and campaign for him but she could say listen i could also make it more spirited i can make it so that there is no doubt that i love you or i could plant those doubts in the way that i handle these next few months you know now i'm not saying this is what she did but this is a very possible scenario you know that, that she said this, this is i have this one last moment where I have something that is important that I can give or not give, and is there is there something that I can get or not get in return? Or you know, I doubt that they put the conversation in their minds uh, in, in such blunt terminology. You know, it's kind of it's it's more part of the political culture that this is the way that you think. You think that this in Washington, even when you're even when you're done. Hey, well, let's kind of talk. Let's see what I've got. Let's see what you've got. Um, it really does seem at this point like she's just one shade away, so much so that you wonder why she didn't just do this. Like she's just one step away from just buying a 30-minute infomercial on television, buying 30 minutes on NBC and sitting down and saying, look, I got 18 million people that voted for me. Uh, you know, if the Democrats want to win, they got to make me the vice president. That's it. That's it. That's it. There, there. I mean, they really... They weren't even adding water to the Kool-Aid. Like they, the Clinton campaign, seriously, especially uh, the very top rungs, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, and then her her campaign chief. They they really uh, were. I, I don't want to say. I ha other reporters were telling me when I was in uh, that that have been with the campaign pretty much every day were saying, yeah, those guys at the top are are just seriously deluded. They really can't accept yet that it's over. And I think part of it is that. Part of it is they have people clamoring around. They have this small group saying, it's got to be you. You're the, you're the only one. You're the one that can do this. What, wait, it's got to be you. And I think they, they bought it, and I think shifting gears was hard for them, and it also politically worked for them to take a breath and wait and, you know, make sure they were kind of getting the most bang for their buck and, and also uh, really believing it, really believing that it was over. I mean, she's smart. She knew it was over. But but knowing a thing and uh, kind of feeling it in your soul are two different things, and that's what we have with the Hillary Clinton campaign. So what's interesting is there's this three-person team that Obama has put together, including a Kennedy, I might add, Yes. Uh, following in the heels of Michelle Obama, who came out looking a lot like uh, Jackie the other night. So there's, I think... Uh, interesting. Yeah, they are very consciously, I think, trying to sort of craft that association even further. Oh. But So there's this three... Okay. Here's what I understand. There's this three-person team that Obama has put together to look for a vice president, and that always seems like a little bit of posturing to me because... 
It's not like he just decided to run for president yesterday. I mean, like, what? hadn't he been looking? Hadn't he sort of already made the decision, whatever it's going to be, and his team is just sort of, like, you wouldn't start now. Clearly, they would have started looking for a vice president uh, a year ago. You separate ways on this one. I think they probably have a big list, but it's a very big list at this point. And I don't think they've sat down and really... Uh, you know, had the vice presidential meetings. They may have had the kind of let's toss some stuff around, let's kind of get ready. But but I don't think in earnest they have seriously uh, had uh, the vice presidential search yet. You know, they have had time. And this is the mark of the Obama campaign is even when the Hillary Clinton campaign was its most feisty, let's say three weeks ago, when they were really saying, we can win, we can. The Obama campaign was effectively saying, uh-huh. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, kind of, whatever. Yeah, you guys do whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're just going to keep on over here. And during that time, clearly, they were starting to think about vice presidential candidates. We know that. People in the campaign are telling it. But I think in earnest, they haven't actually, you know, done the girly pro-con list or whatever it is that, however, they're going to mark these different options. I, I think they really haven't been organized about it yet. They've started. They started thinking. They were in pencil, maybe somewhere. So let me just the ask. Side of a crossword puzzle. So, in just in terms of of raw numbers, let's leave aside right. the uh, you know the position and policy differences and the reputed um, the reputed. Uh, apparently, Michelle Obama is, is is rumored as I've read in several. I think in the Washington Post actually is rumored to personally loathe Hillary Clinton. So leaving leaving all of those things aside. In terms of sheer numbers, if Obama put Hillary as the vice presidential nominee, mm. in your opinion, objectively speaking, in terms of pure mathematics, mm -hmm. at this point, does that or does that not give him uh, a perceived a huge advantage, if not a lock, going into the fall? Very, very tricky question you are asking me, Rick Son, as a political reporter. There, there is great debate over this. I think that uh, the Hillary Clinton campaign has a great point in saying that she did well in some of these kind of swing states, Pennsylvania, Ohio in particular, Florida, big swing states that he would surely like to get. But I think others have a good point in that he doesn't necessarily need to win those states. He's got to win other states, Virginia, for example, where he'll be uh, later tonight again up in northern Virginia, not far from here, uh, Virginia, New Mexico, Colorado, there are states that he has pull in that she does not. You know, and I think it's hard to, you know, when you're when you're leaving the prom, you're always thinking about, you know, the last person you kissed. And I, I just think this is a case where three months down the road, it's going to be a completely different situation. You're going to you're going to be a senior in high school. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this metaphor, but I think the situation will change so much that it, I'm very leery to say. That she, I, I certainly don't think she would make him a lock, and I almost think I think she would hurt him as a vice presidential nominee. I, I don't. I think that her negatives are very significant, and I think um, her negatives are with a different group than his negatives. And I think you put those. He he has uh, some increasing negatives after the Jeremiah Wright situation, and and I think you put so there is some overlap there. Clearly, you know there is there is some portion, I'll just call a spade a spade, of, of probably white conservative America that, that has doubts about both of them. But I do think there are other groups that have separate doubts, and I think they don't help each other. Sort of as we wrap this up, it is worth noting that like Mitt Romney uh, before her, Hillary Clinton is not actually ending her campaign on Saturday. She's merely suspending, suspending her campaign. So oh. she'll, she'll be at convention with a bunch of delegates, and again, 
not that this is what they're thinking, you know, but should Barack Obama, uh, you know, start, you know, saying racial epithets all over the place or I don't know if, if he's if he goes on his own, uh, going on a crazy uh, beer drinking. If he unravels in some way. Yeah, something like that. She's she's still there. All right. Are you uh, on the clock tomorrow? I am on the clock tomorrow. Don't let them tell you otherwise. All right. Duly noted. All right. Enjoy the rest of your day. We will have speech with you very soon. Okay, Lisa. great. Uh, thank you. Lisa Desjardins, ladies and gentlemen. Fantastic. Hello, Tim Riley. Howdy. How are you? Today's commute is going to be worse than yesterday's. Why? Wait, what? We have We have ships coming in both shortly and in... Later this evening. So, yeah, beginning at 3 and beginning at 6. I did the Ross Island Bridge yesterday and I didn't have any problem. I don't think the Ross Island Bridge goes up, does it? No. No, no, no that's no. why That's why I oh. picked that one. Yeah. Everybody should take the Ross Island Bridge. Everybody. Everybody on Earth get in line for the Ross Island Bridge. Start now. Jesus. All right. Well, we should take a break, shouldn't we? What if time we want is it? To. 2.25? Well, we're breaking. Uh, we'll come back. Tim Riley at the bottom of the hour. More news. And we'll do the top five. The top five worst sounds on Earth. Brace yourselves now. Uh, back after this, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Don't go anywhere. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Join us tomorrow when our guests will include Scott Daly from Film Fever Radio and somebody else, yes? Why do I think there's somebody else tomorrow? Maybe tomorrow there is. Friday? I think it is. How was that? I Seriously, don't know. I feel like it should already be that. At first, it felt like the week was going real slow. Now it feels like the week is going fast. Remember when it was? Uh, remember when it was hot outside? Now it's cold. It's all because I brought up yes. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Riley. And now from the Ministry of Truth. That is true. This is Tim Riley. Get ready for the worst day of your life as the Rose Festival fleet comes in at two different times. Jesus. And it begins shortly. Four ships arrive in 50-minute intervals starting at 3, and you know they're going to be late. Then they have two more coming in just in time for 6.15, the nighttime commute. And not only all the bridge is going to go up, and it's just going to be sheer chaos. So during these lifts, all the MAX trains will need to drop off passengers at the old-time Chinatown uh, Rose Quarter Transit Center stations. And they'll take all these uh, sweaty, grumbly people aboard shuttle buses wherever they're going. So it'll take ten times longer than what it usually takes. Jody Sweeten. Do you remember her from no. the Full House program? Wait. Wait, was she the... Uh... That was Michelle. Uh, not Michelle. What's the, well, it's Stephanie Tanner, right? That's right. Yeah. She was on Full House from five to 13 years of age. Wait, hold on. How old is she now? I'm not going to tell you. But, I mean, is she an adult? Yes. Okay. She's made a porn film. No. Oh. Well, I know, so I won't ruin it for you. Um... She's 26. Rehab. Kind of. What? Well, from meth addict to new mom. Oh, uh, yeah. She says it's amazing. It's a far cry from where she's been. She used to be, be a spunky little sitcom girl. Then things changed. She battled an addiction to crystal methamphetamine. I don't think she battled. I mean, I think she lost. The meth won. It was no... I mean, really. How no, does no. One, how does one battle an addiction? Once you have a baby, any problem that you have in life, God poverty, goes away. drugs, anything, it changes things around. So if things aren't going right for you right now, have a baby if things become perfect in a hurry. If you've had some, because God knows it's not going to put you under some kind of stress. Does it seem like if you have a debilitating drug habit, that ought to forever like prohibit you from having a baby? 
I mean, really. I mean, I'm not trying That's to... not the lesson that People Magazine is trying to establish. I mean, here. I know that people struggle and they can overcome or whatever, but look, I, all of us in this room have been under stress at certain periods of life. All of us in this room have, at one point or another, been with the fast crowd, the loose friends, the uh, people who uh, lived out on the edge. To the best of my knowledge, no one in this room has a debilitating drug habit, nor has anyone in this room ever had a debilitating drug habit. You know why? Well, we can't afford it, and we're sitting here gluing cell phones back together again. That is exactly <laughs> right, Tim. Possible. Because because we had to make decisions. Let's see. Shall I do cocaine or pay the rent? Rent. That's what it is. So, I mean... Well, what? some people learn how to pull themselves up by the bootstrap. And this idea some that people can't find the boots. Somehow a difficult choice. Let's see. Uh, should I begin using heroin or not? Maybe I'll roll the dice of destiny. You just, I mean, you just say, I hate to sound like Nancy Reagan. If somebody offers you a big bag of heroin, you just don't take it. You say, I'll pass on that. If at that point in your life, indeed, choose your own adventure novel that is your own existence. When it comes to, shall I inject heroin? Or shall I, like I was reading this, uh, this Axel Rose book, this book by Mick Wall, which is actually not very good. Uh, so uh, if I'm, I mentioned it the other day, if anybody went to Powell's and bought it because they heard I was reading it, I'm sorry, because it's not a very good book. Um... But it's sort of the, the first attempt at, like, a definitive biography of Axl Rose. Anyway, and so they're talking about the band's heroin addiction, because at one point, like, four-fifths of the band were all on heroin. And they talk about Steven Adler, who was the drummer at that point, how he was at uh, the show, I think, at the Hammersmith, and it's like, and he was talking about, well, that was the night that I decided to start taking heroin. I mean, he puts it that way. He was backstage, and there's Izzy Stradlin and Slash, like, tying off and shooting up. And Steven Adler, brain trust that he is who, by the way, eventually did so much cocaine that he had a seizure and is now paralyzed, um, or he had a stroke. He had a cocaine-induced stroke and is now can't move the left half of his body. So he talks about being backstage and seeing Izzy Stradlin and Slash, you know, firing up the lighter or whatever in the spoon and getting ready to do heroin, and he actually said to them, hey, that looks good. You should do me too. And I mean, when you get to that section of your head, like, to do heroin, turn to page 40. To have a productive life and not do heroin, turn to page 70. If you're turning to page 40, you ought to be sterilized, like right then and there. So, But and then we wouldn't have heartwarming stories about meth junkies having children. No. Does she also find Jesus? Doesn't mention Jesus. Jesus that'll, that'll be the next one. Jesus must do nothing but hang out at drug clinics. I mean, that's the thing. Jesus well, must do... stealing Jesus. He turns out to be ceramic. <laughs> Jesus, all right. All right. Jesus, Jesus. All right. Well, let's do the top five, whatever that might be. All right. This is the worst top it. five ever. Well, we'll get it over with quickly. Okay. All right. Five, four, these, three, These sounds are all pretty two, short. One, fire. <laughs> Tim's looking at it right now. Oh, yeah, I haven't. Do you guys can both keep a list? Now, are we going to play a song to soothe the people afterwards? Oh, yeah, I've got it ready. Counting right. is marvelous. Counting's the best thing to do. Counting is happiness. Counting is ecstasy. I love to count. Don't you? So this is because of uh, well, we played yeah, that, and then we hit that, and so <laughs> I saw you laughing, and so there was a whole discussion about that vomit uh, sound being the worst sound in the history of the world. Many people said that's the worst sound in the world. Not so. I've got six different things that are worse than... All right, ladies and gentlemen. Now, on the other side of this, Sarah, are we going to play a song? Oh, yeah. No, I'll tell you right. a song first. Something cheerful. So we're, we all got to buckle down and we'll get through this together. I felt like this is a top five we all had to do. Keep in mind, I am suffering right along with you. No one is allowed to take off their headphones. We're all going to suffer. It'll be like... A, it'll bring, it'll, you know what it is? It'll bring us closer together. This suffering that we're about to go through. All right, these are the... 
Top five songs, Tim, or top five worst noises. And the top five often uh, deals with noises, sounds, oral emanations. They're usually of the musical variety, but occasionally we travel to the opposite end of the spectrum where we examine those tones and vibrations that are just plain wrong. So these are the top five uh, worst noises on Earth. These are the top five worst noises on the planet. Uh, with honorable mention, going to our radial saw. I find this noise to be singularly awful. Maybe it's just me. I find I the really noise, like noise of a radial saw. The whirring is okay. It's this. The cutting into wood. The whirring I can I can get with. I kind of like sawing them. Yeah. Really? This is not for my childhood. Me too. My grandfather he used to hit his house with a wood stove and he'd saw his wood fresh every day. Yeah. My dad my dad was a my dad was a carpenter and would build a lot of things and you know remodeled our house. And I'm fine with it. Maybe it's because of the association with my dad. I mean, I wouldn't rule that out. Uh, but this sound, I hate this sound. I yeah, like, hate the sound of the radio saw. Making like our soapbox derby car. Oh, yeah, I just, it is. And I, I don't mind like others, like a handsaw, a jigsaw, uh, you know, like a, a skill saw, any of those things. It is just the radial saw, the round blade with the retractor on it. I just, I cannot, I cannot get with that. All right, these are the top five uh, worst noises on Earth. Number five, a leaf blower. Always outside your window. Always on a Saturday when you're always trying to sleep. Seven thirty a.m. Why can't they? Is there some rule that you can't run a goddamn leaf blower until noon? They're not allowed in my neighborhood. Is that true? They that have might to rake be the leaves by hand. Good the for old-fashioned way. Well, you know what? That's how our forefathers did it, Tim. Good enough for Grandpa. Good enough for them. I mean, really. And it always and it it, it, it always it gets and, and like you think he's moving down the block, he's really moving toward your yes. house. You were always like, maybe he'll maybe he'll move farther away. And then he starts moving closer. And then he'll start doing that thing of going, woo, 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 like waving it around. I think this will... See? And you always think that he's about done. He's never done. It's getting closer. It's the worst noise on earth. Just fills me with the urge to kill. These are the top five worst noises on planet Earth. Number four. A crying. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, I'm sorry. Number five? Oh, I'm sorry. That's number me. Number I did four. that wrong. <laughs> a crying baby. Oh, it's a leaf blower. <laughs> this was the guy he called early on in the show. Tim is actually rubbing his temples. <laughs> so the guy called early on in the show and he was saying that this is what they use to try to train him to be a POW. To hang tough. <sighs> I think that. I don't mean to sound. I, I heard mean, this this morning. I was going to say, I know that we can be, we, we are accused of being aggressively child-free, but think that people volunteer to have this sound in their yeah. home. Well, I, was, I said that I don't want my friend Lisa's house last night, and this is how I was awoken this morning. And I apologize to my mom all the time for the fact that I probably made that sound. I mean, I just feel bad about it. Babies are selfish. <laughs> they are. They, they don't ever pick up their end of things, Tim. <sighs> all right. Uh, these are the top five worst sounds on Earth. Number three, a dental drill. Is this I mean, Tim? this is yeah. largely because of the association with, you know. Oh! That's what I'm saying. No. Right there. Oh, I kept my headphones on, you sissies. I'm, I'm battling all the way through. <laughs> well, that's good for you. <laughs> Rick Emerson's toughing it out. You know what I don't care for? I don't care for the little suction thing they put in your mouth. I always get my cheeks. I could, really? 
Under yeah. those section thing, I always start Aren't you occasionally it. afraid that thing is just going to collapse your lungs? When they put the thing in that sucks out the inside of your mouth? Like that thing that, like, sucks out your drool or whatever? No, but now I will. I'm occasionally you. afraid the guy's going to jam it back into my throat and it's going to deflate my lungs. No, with me, it's just in the nick of time. I'm about to drown seconds away. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, oh, what, what, does it hurt? <laughs> but then it's the best feeling, though, when that finally, when they finally get rid of it, right? When they finally go, and then they, you know, they dry your mouth out or whatever, they drain it out. That's the best feeling on earth. All right, these are. I'm really regretting this list. These are the top five. But now, we, after this, we never have to do it again. No. These are. The, we're almost done. These are the top five worst noises on earth. There were two an electric alarm clock. But not just any alarm clock. Oh, it's mine. I hate that. It's everybody's. Oh. That's what I'm saying. And you know right there, that is like, the, what, how is it that they all have that one ring that's like the worst thing on earth? It's the worst thing on earth, that noise. I mean, why would they, why would they make an alarm clock that sounds like that? You know what I mean? I mean, in the factory, there must have been any number of noises they could have used for the alarm clock. They probably had to test it on, like, starving students in the focus group. <laughs> Maybe they were trying to find a noise that was so irritating you'd have no choice but to get out of bed. I mean... It's just the worst. It's the worst. Oh, that is. And remember, there was a commercial that we used to have on the station that had an alarm clock. Th- I do remember that commercial. I remember who it was for, and I remember thinking to myself, why would you put that noise in a commercial? Why would anybody play this on the radio? Oh, I heard that air raid noise walking down the street yesterday. See? Yeah, I wasn't making it up. No, you weren't. This, there was an air raid noise. There was an air raid siren noise. I don't noise. know what it's for. All right, so we're counting that. And here's the, by the way, the final thing about this is that not only is it an irritating sound, but by definition... You have nothing but bad memories associated with that sound. Mm-hmm. Because y- 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 by definition, you only hear that when you don't want to wake up. Because if you wanted to wake up, you wouldn't need the alarm clock. You wouldn't need the alarm clock because you'd be rested and you'd just be going, waking up naturally. No, no, no. You need this to wake you up because otherwise you would still be sleeping. Why? Because your body still wants to be asleep. And instead, uh. being ripped from the womb of slumber. All right. I almost don't even want to play number one. Let's not. Play it. Tim saying to play it. People have been waiting. I think well, I know what it is. We are counting down the worst noises in the history of the world, Sarah. Right, we're going to go from that right into the song. Tim's taking off his headphones. Hey, you can't... Oh, you know, there is no, no intuitiveness anymore. I'm not going to play it then. I bet it, is it nails on a chalkboard? I'm not saying. No one will ever know. Oh, I, can't, I can't hear that. I didn't play it. I did play it. All right, we're done. Oh, I can kind of hear it. All right. Uh And we're done. All right, there you go. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Riley, greatest newsman in the history of the world. Back at 4, 5, 6, and 7, top of the hour, all the way through like this. We'll come back and wrap it up after this. Here's Cheap Trick and Surrender of the Rick Emerson Show.
minutes. Three minutes. Three minutes. Crazy. All right, it's uh, the, uh, what's it? Hi, a professional broadcaster. We now enter the saddest part of the, uh, the, uh... <laughs> what is wrong with you? I don't know. <laughs> Hi, it's the Rick Emerson Show. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Uh, if you want to join us, you can do that uh, at that phone number right there as we sort of uh, plunge headlong toward the top of the hour. Like us at 3, like us 101 at uh, 5. Michael Mara show at seven. So we'll Are we do uh, some random callers. I suppose let's take random callers, Sarah. Shall we? If you want to uh, sneak on, this is your chance to do it. It's five zero three five. One has gone wrong. Just in the last five okay? minutes, I've lost the ability to speak. Five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. That's what I meant to say there. Five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. We'll do random calls until uh, the end. I have of the some program. music for us. Do you? Instead of a Dexter. Because we haven't listened to this in a while. All right. Excellent. You know, i got to figure out where that uh, the version of the song is on my hard drive, because all I have is, the, like, the Russian one. I'll send you this link. Uh, oh, by the way, so that uh, that hate breed thing happening at, at the Roseland tomorrow. So it's hate breed, typo negative, three inches of blood, and Northwest Royale, whoever they might be. So that is, uh, that's what's happening tomorrow at the Roseland. All right. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Random calls till the end of the show. Go. Hello, guys. How you doing? What's up? Well... I have a glued phone story for Tim, but first I know a band that uh, uses a flute that you guys didn't mention, and that's Kansas. Oh, that's true. Kansas did also sort of prog rock in their own way. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my daughter glued our phone when she was, this is probably about seven, eight years ago. She's 14 now. And our phone was ringing. I went to answer the thing, and I couldn't lift it up. So I take and get my cat's paw and pry the damn thing off. And I said, I said, who glued the phone? And my daughter says, well, it wasn't me. And we only have one child. And I didn't have her until I was 35. So I'm saying, you know, Amy, if you lie to me, you're going to get in more trouble. There are really no other suspects in that case. No, because I said, you know what? I know I didn't do it. Your mother didn't do it. She says, well, I was doing crafts. I says, Amy, look at the glue I here. You did it on purpose. Kids glue the darndest things, don't they, sir? Oh, my God. I tell you, an hour later, I had to go out of the house and laugh my ass off because, you know, I was a kid once, too, you know? <laughs> Can't laugh in front of children, though, sir. It's a sign of weakness. All right. Thank you, my friend. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hello there. What's up? Hey, I just want to share something. I've been meaning to call for a while. I've been drinking Viso since it was first broadcast on your program. Excellent. Thank you, my friend. And something I didn't know that you can save your Viso caps. Yes, you can. Trade them in for shirts. Redeem them for swag up to it, including a refrigerator, I believe. Yeah, I wish I knew that a long time ago, uh, but I wanted to share that with other listeners. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. I'm sorry. Hello? Hello. Hi, right, turn your radio up, please. Uh, no. I just wanted to call and thank you guys for um, being on the air today. My friend and I were shoveling wood chips for the uh, city parks of West Lynn, so I wanted to call and say thank you. We had you on in the truck all day all right. and uh, awesome. made our job very what, what is your friend's name? I'm Blaine. I'm sorry, what? Her name is Emily. And what is your name? My name is Jacob. Jacob and Emily, thank you so much for listening to both of you. You keep spreading the word. You call us anytime, sir. Thank you, my friend. All right, there you go. We'll go out on that. All Yay. right. Uh, if you're on hold, I apologize. No time to be fair to another caller. Uh, give us a ring tomorrow, won't you please? We're back at 10 a.m. tomorrow for the recap, 11 for the show. We want to thank CNN Radio correspondents Lisa Desjardins, James Roop, Dorothy Carcassari from the National Enquirer, uh, and uh, all that. Uh, Rick Emerson, show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dillon for AM 970 Solid State Radio in the newsroom. Tim Riley and the phone's Richie Bristol. The gatekeeper is dead.
Dave's in. Director of Engineering, Brian Jones. Webmistress is Bridget from upstairs. And, of course, CBS Radio Portland Marketing Guru Susan. Don't F with me, Reynolds. Like us next. See you all tomorrow. Bye now. Ugh.